0: The following is a presentation from the MJ cast, the internet's premier podcast on all things Michael Jackson. I'm a black American. I am proud of who I am. Together, we can make a change in the world. I wanna see you!
1: (laughs) I like to take sounds and put them on the microscope. There's a driving bass you become the bass. Let the music write itself. I don't sing it if I don't mean it.
2: <laughs> welcome to the MJ Cast, your source of news, discussion, and interviews on the King of Pop.
3: Hello, and welcome to the MJ Cast. My name is Charlie Carter, and it's my absolute honor and privilege to host this episode dedicated to the 40th anniversary of my favorite album of all time, the greatest album of all time, and the most iconic work of our favorite artist Michael Jackson's Thriller. Arguably, there has never been a more seismic event in music history than the release and reaction to Thriller. The music, the videos, the short films, the awards, the live performances, and of course, the sales were nothing that the industry has seen before or since. Thriller quickly became the biggest selling album of all time. Some even credit the record with saving the recorded music industry. Thriller not just sold records, it broke records. 37 weeks at number one, the first album to contain seven top 10 singles, a record eight Grammy Awards with another record 13 nominations, and none of this even begins to tell the full story. Breaking down the racial barriers by having his music videos and short films on the MTV was one thing. The effect on every other artist moving forward and the legacy of Michael Jackson changing the art form is clear for all to see and hear. Forty years after its release on 30th of November 1982, Thriller is still the benchmark, will always be the benchmark and still sounds as fresh and groundbreaking today as I imagine it would have when it first came out. Before we begin, I would like to thank Jamin, Elise, and Charlie Thompson for entrusting me with hosting this episode. I am so happy to have this opportunity to lead this recording to discuss my favorite album, and I know at least one of our guests today feels the same way about Thriller, and perhaps they all do. We're going to be covering a few different topics today, the release of Thriller 40 and the bonus tracks that came with it, some of the 4K short films that were also released and what might be coming in future, the recent Thriller 40 documentary that some of us got to go and see, and we're going to give you our own ideas of how we would have handled the 40th anniversary of Thriller. So I'm delighted today to be joined by three gentlemen whose insights into the music, the anniversary, and the cultural effect of Thriller are going to be wonderful to hear today. So let me start by welcoming back to the show Damien Shields. Welcome back. How are you?
1: How did I get on mute?
3: <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I'm good, mate. Great to hear you again. And great to meet you at last. Well huh? In person. Oh
1: yeah, day. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yesterday. Yeah, that <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't that long you... ago, mate. I thought you'd forgot I thought you'd forgotten about yesterday. Yeah, it was great to meet you. How are <laughs> how are you? How are you, Charlie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm good. Can't complain. And if I do no one listens, you know how it is. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I, cle- I clearly didn't listen when you told us to uh, unmute ourselves when we were speaking. So <laughs> That's all good. That will be uh, fixed up in the edit.
3: Also returning to the show, Paul Black. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing, man? Good, thank you. Nice to meet you the other night as well. It was, definitely. And looking forward to hearing your, your thoughts on this all as well in your capacity as a film editor. Awesome. And returning also with us today, longtime Jacksons fan, husband to Jill, dad to Renee, Olivia, and Violet from Clinton Township in Michigan, Sean Shackelford. How are you, sir? I am doing well. How are you doing? Oh, I'm very good. Thank you. I'm looking forward to getting everyone's thoughts on this, particularly yours. So uh, without further ado, let's get into this. I'm excited. Excellent. Right, so let's get into this. Topic number one, the release of Thriller 40. In the lead up, there was a little bit of teasing about what tracks were going to be shared and what songs are going to be coming out. Some missing, some that we've heard before. To begin the discussion, I just got to point out that we're not going to go through the original tracks. We've already done that in a previous episode and we'll leave the details in the show notes. But of the previously unreleased tracks, uh, there are quite a few there that we'll, we'll go through. Obviously, we've got Starlight, which is the original version of what became Thriller. The rest on the album are Got the Hots, Who Do You Know, Carousel, Behind the Mask, Can't Get Out of the Rain, The Toy, Sunset Driver, What a Lovely Way to Go, She's Trouble. And then we have older versions and demo versions of Billie Jean, Beat It, Want to Be Starting Something, Human Nature, PYT, The Girl Is Mine, and Thriller, almost the whole album. So I'm going to start by throwing over to Sean, because Sean, you'll have remembered when these tracks came out originally, the original version of Thriller, and you'll have some knowledge of the flavor of the album. So which of these new tracks really got your attention?
2: So I, I really do like, and, and those who, who know me, and I've, I've talked about this on uh, previous uh, MJ cast episodes that I've been on, is that I really like when Michael is just, Singing is just simple. It's just plain. And you just get the true Michael Jackson vocal performance. And so who do you know? Carousel, the toy, and what a lovely way to go. And, and those and I, and I really of those four, because all of them have that, that, that mid tempo um, and it's just they're simple songs. Uh, There's not the up tempo. Uh, Michael and of those four, what a lovely way to go is my absolute favorite, followed very closely by Carousel. I know we're probably not going to get into this, but I'm going to say it. If I could replace one track on Thriller, it would definitely I would substitute Carousel for "The Girl Is Mine." Uh, It has the same tempo. Um, the same kind of you know uh, style, but those four really they really stand out to me, and it's that Michael that you know especially what a lovely way to go what a lovely way to go sounds like it was recorded during those gamble and huff sessions that that the tone of Michael's voice in that particular song it, it's just rich it sounds like he's really enjoying the song and he's really enjoying the vocals if that makes sense. I would also say it's just you know, that is a song that, you know, if it wasn't going to be on Thriller, it should have taken the place of Be Not Always on Victory. Um, and so those are just four songs that I absolutely love of the bonus tracks.
3: Yeah, I could not agree more. What a Lovely Way to Go is a, a beautiful little song. I have to point out one tiny, tiny thing, which doesn't take away from the song, but it got my attention just because of obviously my role here at the MJ Cast as editor. That about 14 seconds in the transition from the intro percussive sounds, shall we say, to the vocals, the edit there is not crisp. It's a bit of a jump and it's a bit startling. But like
2: I said, the rest of the song is absolutely beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. It just has that as a Beatles type sound, Elton John kind of flair to it that really just, and I honestly, if I, I always thought that the song Give It Up on Triumph had an Elton John kind of feel to it as well. That little piano intro. Um, and so it just seemed like Michael was in that. He and the brothers were into that vibe. So that's kind of what I get from that particular cut.
3: Excellent. Paul, how about you? What are your thoughts on the on the tracks that Sean mentioned there?
0: Yeah, I'm pretty much in a similar camp. I love that sort of pure Michael week and hear his vocal, and even if it's just piano and voice or something, always love that stuff. There's an interesting selection of tracks they've got here. I guess we're most excited if if at all about the ones that We haven't really heard before or perhaps are in slightly better quality. I mean Carousel has always been one of the strongest sort of runners up for Thriller so that's always great. I think when it was originally on was it Thriller 25 it was only a short version so it's good that they've put the full version on for that. Behind the Mask is probably one of the highlights that we've all been wanting to hear. Michael's original version in as good quality as possible I wouldn't say this is definitely the best quality. It's a little bit, you can hear they've just ripped it off a cassette, but it's still uh, an amazing track. And a lot of the other ones we've heard a lot before, but they're still good. Sunset Driver got the hots. Starlight's in a slightly better quality than some people are used to hearing. So, yeah, I'd say probably Behind the Mask is my standout, I reckon. What a Lovely Way to Go is good. Who Do You Know is probably my favourite of the songs that I hadn't really heard before. So, yeah, some good stuff in there.
3: And, Damien, obviously you've created the genesis of Thriller, a wonderful podcast uh, about how the album was originally made. You'd have been aware of some of these songs
1: previously.
3: How do you think they stack up?
1: Um, well, I think it's pretty clear why they didn't make the album, and that's not a criticism of the songs themselves. In my opinion, the Thriller album is Michael's magnum opus. I think there's it doesn't get much better than Thriller as far as music in general ever. So because these songs didn't make it on thriller, it's you know, it's not a criticism of the songs, but I do think it's clear that they didn't meet the standard that they were shooting for. My favourite song on on the set is What a Lovely Way to Go. I love if we're talking about demos and not like fully completed album tracks that have been mixed and mastered to go out to the public, hearing them raw is really nice. And this is rough and raw, and it's it's not polished, it's not finished, it's still got some lyrics to that haven't been quite worked out and for me it's just it's, it's a delightful song it's kind of unlike anything i've ever heard michael do before it's totally to the to the left of what he would normally do i agree with sean that it probably could have had a place on victory or or another album somewhere along the line if it would have been realized a little bit further and 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 made into a proper fully completed song but i don't know if it belongs on thriller or 40 or another project somewhere else um, which I guess we can get into later I'm not sure how this episode is going to unfold and what the themes and discussions are exactly but I'm not going to go down that Avenue right now the other one I really liked hearing was behind the mask again it's rough and raw and it's kind of it's not fully polished but that's cool I really like that I don't like that they didn't present it in its best quality I think that it's a little bit neglectful to put a a demo out with extraordinary hiss and kind of problems that can easily be fixed it's kind of like if you discovered a picasso in the attic and you wanted to exhibit it to the world and showcase it in a in an anniversary exhibit of picasso's work you'd probably dust the cobwebs off and do a little bit of restoration i don't think you would just leave it there looking as bad as it did in the attic and i think that's what they've done here
0: i think all three of those so quote unquote new tracks sound like they've all just come off a cassette tape to me they haven't like found the original studio masters or reels they've just which
1: is which is bizarre because we know that behind the mask was used on the michael album which means they they clearly have a multi-track for it so they clearly have the ability to separate the parts and polish them and at least remove like distortion So, to me, it sounds like it was an intentional thing, like almost like let's put this in there in its worst quality to to justify why we had to do what we did to it on the Michael album or something like that, or to diminish its quality so much to say, oh, like it's obviously just a demo and a bonus track. The thing is that when Michael would sing a demo in the studio, what came out of his mouth was crystal clear. What the musicians played was crystal clear. If at that time, they didn't have the ability to capture it and mix it down to a cassette in as best quality as possible, then I don't think it should be limited to being played back in its cassette playback quality. If it can be, if the cobwebs can be removed, remove them. You're not changing the song at all. You're not remixing it or doing anything to it. You just you know, take the hiss away. Like, sure, because a lot of, I'll throw a lot of people online, like automatically dive straight down and say, listen to that hiss, listen to the, to the quality, and it almost like was a distraction from the fact that this demo is actually really awesome. <laughs> like to me, I thought it was like a, a really wonderful revelation to hear some of the incomplete parts of it where it was still not fully realized, or like extra verses and things that weren't fully done. And it was beautiful. So, a little bit of care and concern could have just eliminated people's complaints about the quality. There were quality problems on a couple of the tracks that had been released previously in better quality than we got them now, which was... Strange. But yeah, what a lovely way to go. And behind the mask, those are my two go tos. And a special mention to Got the Hots, which I think is the worst song. Michael Jackson ever put his voice on. I think it's an absolute it's a sonic abomination. It's all over the place. It's a, it's it's a literal dog's breakfast. I fully agree with it being included on here because it's a genuine Thriller sessions outtake and I would never argue that it shouldn't be included, but I also don't like it at all. It's the worst Michael Jackson song in history in my opinion. Wow. Don't at me. <laughs> <laughs> so with um
3: was having an updated version of Behind the Mask, I recently learned that there are quite a few versions of that that were released by other artists, including- Greg Fillinganes. Greg Yep.
1: Yeah, there's a Greg Fillinganes version.
2: There's an Eric Clapton version as well. The Greg Fillinganes version is actually a, a, a very decent
1: version of the song. So, yeah. It's almost like it would have been if Michael would have finished it. Yes. Like what, what Greg put on record is kind of like if Greg was doing the demo and the demo was finished for Michael to come in and sing it. Yes. It's almost like a reverse demo. It's like Greg did a great demo for Michael to come in and sing, even though Michael did the first demo that Greg then redid as a song. So what you're
3: saying is that you could put Michael's vocals on Greg's, Greg's version and then you'd have something close to what the finished version could have been.
1: Correct. Yeah, yeah. it could have been nice. Like if Eric Clapton could have just said, let Michael do it again in '86 and put it on bad. It could have been cool. Yeah, absolutely.
3: What about some of the other songs then? For example, the toy, which we then later had on the Michael album as "Best of Joy." What are your thoughts on on that particular song?
2: The toy is is one of my favorite songs again because it's 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 simple. Uh, it's it's pure Michael vocals. The only issue I would have with that is just, you know, the movie that it was written for, allegedly written for the toy was very problematic, not at the time so much, but now it wouldn't, it would be very problematic. And so that line, I'm your toy, or I'm your boy, I'm your toy. If you take away that and how problematic that is, just in terms of what the movie was about, um, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the toy, the movie. Yeah.
3: I am not. I was going to ask you, for those who are uneducated like myself, can you tell us what, why that was
2: a controversy for, for the toy? Uh, so, uh, Richard Pryor. So, you're familiar with Richard Pryor, the great comedian. Yep. Um, so, the premise was that there was this rich gentleman, Jackie Gleason, played the rich – he's a very wealthy man. And so, he, his son was very spoiled and wanted a toy. Uh, and so, the, he wanted Richard Pryor to be his toy. Um, and so obviously there's a whole lot of problematic things with a young white boy wanting a black adult man to be his toy right. and so uh, i think that's it, it it would it would not go over well in today's uh, society which is fine but at the time you didn't really think about it that way but that that, that lyric is a little problematic just in con- in that context but outside of that i think it's a great song
1: also a young white child calling a black man a boy. That's highly exactly. problematic. That we can't. Highly problematic. <laughs> even then it's problematic. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yes, it was yeah, that was very problematic even then. So yes, I neglected to mention that part. Yes. Outside of that, if you take away that, um, it's a great song. Interesting.
1: Obviously it's it's best of joy. It's what best of joy ended up being. As a song, I don't hate it. I just think it wasn't where it needed to be to be released. Obviously, it wasn't released. So, you know, you can't criticize it as a song that came out. But um, for me, I've seen a lot of fans loving it and giving it its flowers. And I think that's great. And I'm really happy that so many people enjoyed it. But I kind of find it slightly bland, a little bit dull. And even the vocal, like it's not a joyous, doesn't sound like joyous to me. The new version, the 2008 vocal recording, sounds like Michael injected a little bit more joy into the vocal and brought it to life a little bit more and then with the new production that that they did for it in 2010 i thought it was a beautiful little track but as it is on thriller 40 it's it's okay for me it doesn't knock me over uh it's another one that we can argue whether or not it should even be on there if this is an expanded edition of thriller does this song belong and again i don't know if we're going down that path in the episode if we do I'll talk about why it may or may not belong on here. But um, as a song itself, it's okay for me. But I'm happy for people that like it.
3: Well, see, controversial opinion here. I have I never liked Best of Joy. It was never a song that I thought, oh, this is really good. I, I was a little bit the opposite. I, I thought it was just a bit too wishy-washy. I mean, it's starting to grow on me after a few years, but I'm still not Loving that particular song. And I've got to admit that this version, that the original version, of the toy, is not really doing anything for me either. I do prefer Best of Joy over the toy. But I suppose what this album is all about is seeing what material Michael had recorded, thought about, rejected during that time period of Thriller. And ultimately, I think they made the right call considering they got the greatest selling album of all time.
0: Yeah, I think the whole point of this kind of second bonus disc or content is really for the fans to get excited about songs that they hadn't really heard before that were going to make the album. But obviously, we've heard most of these before in some form or another on various releases or bootlegs. But I think if we'd never heard Best of Joy, and this was the first thing we ever heard, the toy track coming out... I think I would have been a little more excited about it, going, wow, this is cool to hear. It's Michael singing. It's a nice little song. But I think the, the fact that we've heard it as Best of Joy, which is possibly a better lyric, and it was, you know, polished up a little bit, it takes away from the impact of this coming out now in that form. But, yeah, it does the job. It's not bad. It's good to hear it. But, uh, yeah, I'm sure there were definitely other things that probably could have taken its place in this release, in my opinion.
1: You've just opened a can of worms that I've been trying not to go down.
0: We'll get there, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> I'm going to go down it right now because <laughs> you've, you've just prompted me. And it's the fact that the estate has no foresight in their releases. They don't plan forward and think, what are we going to need this for in the future? Where is it best placed? What is its natural home? And if you've got the first posthumous album that they released with some stuff on there, they've also got This Is It soundtrack, which had a bonus disc with just four songs, which they literally probably were the first four songs that they found in the vault and they just slapped them on there unnecessarily. Can you imagine if this release, the bonus tracks were, like you just said, a song like The Toy, whether it's The Toy specifically or a song like it, that we'd never heard before and it was the first time you're hearing it. Imagine hearing on this disc the Beat It a demo or imagine if mm. the first time we'd heard it was in the Thriller documentary or whatever. Yeah. They unnecessarily put that out. Now, our lives wouldn't have been any worse if we never heard that. We wouldn't know it existed if they didn't put it on the This Is It soundtrack. We would be none the wiser to its existence. So, if we were none the wiser to to its existence and then on an expanded edition of Thriller, we got that acapella beat it demo or things like it for the first time ever, we would be literally losing our minds about that. Like, how did this stay in the vault for 13 years and we didn't know about it? But we don't have the luxury of that because they unnecessarily used it on a different project. Same with like behind the mask. That's a genuine thriller outtake. That was done for thriller and not included on thriller. And in my mind, should have been kept for a moment like this. But it was on the Michael album, which was supposed to be the first posthumous album, which was postured as, you know, the album Michael was working on and didn't get to finish. It hadn't been on his radar for, you know, almost 30 years but they've postured it like it was one of his final tracks. This is its natural home. Why wasn't it saved for this? So, in my opinion, I think that we we lose, like you said, we lose some impact because they've just gone and wasted songs on things that they don't relate to. And then it also is doubled down by they've put songs on here that aren't actual thriller outtakes that do have natural homes elsewhere Mm -hmm. that have now been wasted for other future projects. Like if you go and talk about, you know, an expanded edition of Off The Wall, if a track actually does trace back to that era, why didn't they save the original demo of that song for that project? And now when they go and do Off The Wall, and we know that Lovely Way To Go was conceived before Off The Wall. Mm. And if they go and put an earlier version of it on Off The Wall, we go, well, we've already heard that one. (laughs) Why have we already heard it? Why? Why is it on here and not there? Like, Just think forward a little bit and think Mm. what are we going to need this for in the future (laughs) just so that we don't ruin the surprise for future things. And then including these things and then not including others that have genuine rights to be on this project, it just doesn't make too much sense. So, that's just my very broad brush surface level opinion (laughs) on… On what the can of worms you just opened, Paul. So I'm, I'm going to stop there. But yeah, <laughs> think, <laughs> things have their natural home. Let's put them where they belong. Let's think about it and and make it make sense. Just make it make sense.
2: Well, and, and so that so that brings up "Can't Get Out of the Rain." Uh, "Can't Get Out of the Rain" is not yeah. a thriller track. I know it was the B side for um, "The Girl Is Mine." Girl is mine, okay. But the, can't get out of the rain is you can't win part two. Yep. Okay. Uh, I bought the forty five as a kid. I so I I I know it. I physically had the forty five, so I know what was on the flip side. The flip side was you can't win part two, and so that to me continues to boggle my mind why they continue to recycle that song. I, and it's a great song. And I and maybe Michael, I, I always wonder what's his what was his mindset around that song and and overdubbing it and, you know, changing the
1: lyrics just a bit and, and putting it as a B-side. Well, we don't have um, to wonder about that because Quincy Jones, in a contemporaneous interview at the time when he was being interviewed about Thriller, and this is credit to Jay Wonder on Twitter who uh-huh. brought, brought this little beautiful clip out in a, you know, a photocopied news article that dates all the way back to the early 80s. Quincy was asked, why didn't that song make it on Thriller? And he said, that song has nothing to do with Thriller. We just yeah. had so many good songs for Thriller that we didn't want to waste any of them as B-sides. So we just pulled a random thing from the past and slapped it on as a B-side because we knew we were building an album where we possibly had nine singles. We didn't know what the plan was. We're Moving forward, We, you know, which songs are going to be singles in which order, who knows, but we can't risk putting one of our other songs from the album on there as a B-side when that those all those songs could have been singles, which was really smart thinking from Quincy Jones to just put a random song on there as a B-side because in the end, you know, we did get seven of the nine songs as singles and they were all hits. Absolutely. So, can you imagine if they just thought, oh, let's just put, you know, PYT or let's just put, you know, whatever on there as a B-side and then all of a sudden you've lost one of your hit singles. So, the but the but the key information is that it has nothing to do with Thriller and it's actually out of Quincy Jones, the producer of the album. It's <laughs> out of his mouth that this thing is not connected to Thriller at all. Not at all. Not at all. And that actually
2: brings up another point that I was going to bring up about the B-sides because, you know, I, I was 10 years old uh, when this album came out and so, I lived, lived this album, lived the Michael Mania, lived the Jackson Mania. But I will also say that I wonder why they didn't take some of these songs that did come from Thriller, that did make the album, and make them b sides Because I'll tell you, Prince did a phenomenal job during that time of mm. taking songs, uh, and they never took away from the songs that he was releasing at the time. So if we're talking about Erotic City, 17 Days, Irresistible Bitch, you know, those songs, those held up right alongside the songs that they were released as b sides for. So I, I just wonder why they never took that opportunity because Michael was huge. Even though Thriller was great, we were still clamoring for more. We would have, you know, we'd have taken these songs and 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 embraced them at the time. So I just wonder what the mindset behind not using some of these as B sides.
0: I think the reason for that is because Michael had a habit of shelving songs that weren't quite ready yet and revisiting them later. And eventually they might you know, evolve into something else. So I don't think he was kind of of that mindset of, "I'll put this out. It's my. It's a, it's of now. It's of this era, and I'll move on." That's what Prince does. Prince is like, "Okay, I'm doing this music now, and I don't need to revisit any of this because I'm just going to write more, and I'm sick of this already. I'm going to move on to the next project." Whereas Michael had a habit of archiving songs and revisiting them years later and developing them, like what obviously eventually into Smooth Criminal, um, things like Earth Song. You know, so. I think that's the thing with Michael. He probably didn't want to put out something as a B-side, especially if it wasn't perfect or not finished, and he would probably rather save it in case he wants to revisit it later or use it or part of it or the baseline, et cetera, et cetera. And
1: there's also an extra part to that as well, where you have to understand that Michael is Michael. Michael has his career and he is his own artist, but Michael was working with producers and writers who we're working with people other than just Michael Jackson. So for example, if you're in the studio in Westlake and you're putting this album Thriller together and you've got, you know, the mythical story of there were nine songs and then we reassessed the nine and we took the weakest four out and we replaced them with you know four new songs that were stronger that we wrote specifically to replace the other ones. And you're Quincy Jones and you're going, "Well, these songs are still great." And you know, the next project that I'm working on is this artist or that artist or well, there's going to be more music coming out from me beyond Thriller, he'll be looking forward and saying, that song would be perfect for this artist. I'm taking it there once we're done with Thriller. Mm. And that's what they did with a lot of these songs. She's Trouble ended up with other artists. Um, Nightline ended up with other artists. Behind the Mask ended up with other artists. And these songs began new lives elsewhere and they their, their stories kind of traveled through time through the voices of other artists not necessarily all of the songs were written by michael so he wasn't probably thinking i'm going to keep she's trouble maybe for the future because he probably had no you know no meat in the game there for that but like you said paul with like the toy for example which became best of joy which was considered for dangerous and then archived again and then brought out you know in 2008 <laughs> like 27 years after he wrote it it's it's completely true for that particular song. So, yeah. Yeah, because uh, She's Trouble was covered by
2: musical youth. Yes.
3: Okay, so on the topic of songs being in there that have no relevance to Thriller, why, for example, would they put in Can't Get Out of the Rain, but leave out absolute bangers like Hot Street?
0: I absolutely agree, mate. Like, that's the biggest thing for me with this release is... It's talking about these are outtakes and demos from Thriller. Now, if you've been a fan for a long time, like a lot of us have, way back since you know, early 90s, there were cassette tapes circling around saying, here are the outtakes from a Thriller. And it was always the same four songs, which were Circus Girl, which is actually Carousel, Nightline, Trouble, She's Trouble, and Hot Street. So the fact that Nightline and Hot Street are not on this release is the thing that absolutely blows my mind. Because if you're looking for outtakes for Thriller, those are like the staple four, possibly even the four that were in most contention. And I personally love the track Nightline. I think it's might even be a bit better than She's Trouble, but they're on the similar par. And Hot Street's pretty good. It's probably better than... um got the hots, as Damien might agree. Everything is. But those are the four tracks that should be on there as if you had to guess as a fan, what are they going to be the tracks on there? Those would have been the first four that most people would have guessed. So the fact that they only put two of them on there and then they've put all these other things that feel a little bit scraping the bottom of the barrel kind of blows my mind a little bit i'm like that was just like a slam dunk easy those are the first four on the whiteboard what else have we got so i don't i'm so surprised that nightline and hot street aren't on there do you get the feeling that they may be shuffling these tracks around and
2: um or giving us the the lowest quality because they want to do something different with some of these tracks or better versions of these tracks for thriller 45 thriller 50. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, you get the feeling that you know because you got. You made a great point. Like you know, why not perfect it now? But again, you still have. You will still have a Thriller forty five. You'll still have a Thriller fifty, and they may not know quite what to do then, and so they just may recycle some of these tracks. Because I agree with you. Those those four should have been the first four that should have been on this this release.
0: To me, it just feels like there is always the similar kind of vibe of it's not ready yet. So, they keep putting out releases with tracks that they haven't had time to remaster them or go back to the vault. I mean, you know, the the bad concert coming off of VHS for the bad 25, how long ago? is That's like, what, over a decade since that was released? And it felt at the time, it's like, well, let's give you this, but if we get around to it, we'll actually update it and later it'll be a much bigger and better release. But you know, obviously that hasn't happened. So, there does seem to be a tendency to just keep releasing things in poor quality and then never revisiting it. So, it's like, why don't you try and take the time or prepare everything in a way that is going to make sure it's all ready to go, go back to all the masters. And I hate to keep mentioning, you know, the Prince sort of estate in the way they do it. They seem to have an amazing team of people in charge of the archive, they're able to find absolutely everything for every release when they do a special edition of an album. They've got all original masters, they've got high quality stuff. They really know where everything is, what relates to every project. They've got experts involved and they get everything that like for the 1999 release or the sign of the times, they got everything for those albums and put everything in a set Whereas with these kind of things, with, you know, the Michael stuff, it just feels like we'll just see what's there, but we don't have time to really do it properly. So we'll just chuck it on anyway. And it just never seems to get revisited. It's like you say, why don't you just do it great up front? It would be nice if people have been working on Thriller 40 for a decade, preparing for it, you know, and then putting out a really high quality uh, product. But it just seems a bit hit and miss, in my opinion.
1: It feels a bit like... um Pin the tail on the donkey. Someone's <laughs>
0: blindfolded
1: and they're walking around the room, and yeah. they've they know they have this pin. They have to put it somewhere, and it's just like where wh- wh- bang, and it just lands there. It's like okay, that'll do. Like I said, there's no foresight. They're not thinking like. And I agree with Paul. They should be thinking decades ahead. When Michael passed away, there should have been you know a twenty year plan, and fi- and and it should have been let's first of all figure out what we've got to work with. And then figure out where it belongs. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't feel like that at all. It feels it feels very very scrambled and rushed. And they sh- they don't have to rush. Like they don't have to put a Thriller Deluxe out for the fortieth anniversary. Because look at again, you're talking about the Prince Estate a lot. I don't know anything about Prince. Just want to preface that I'm not a huge Prince fan. I really don't know the first thing about him or his career or his estate. But I can see at a surface level when his social media posts something or there's a press release or there's a product release and I can check it out on Amazon or whatever and see what it looks like and what the content is. At a very surface level, it seems like it's done really well. But the interesting thing is for the Sign of the Times box that they did, it wasn't Sign of the Times 40. It wasn't Sign of the Times 25. Mm -hmm. It wasn't Sign of the Times anything. It was Sign of the Times Deluxe Deluxe. Edition or whatever it was called. And it was on like the 32nd and a half anniversary. It wasn't tied to an anniversary because it didn't need to be because the show- It's timeless. Yeah, it's timeless. And the showcase is the art- So, the art doesn't need to have a birthday to be relevant because Michael's art is relevant every day. Mm -hmm. And so, if you come out next week and say, we're doing a deluxe edition of Dangerous, do you think the fans are going to go, oh, we don't want it because it's not the (laughs) 35th anniversary? No, no one's going to say that. And the people who want to buy this art, they are going to embrace it no matter when it comes. So, the fact that they wait for the anniversaries really ticks me off because then they slap a number on the release and they stamp it in time. And they say, this is the 40 version. You know, it it stamps it. And I think it should, they shouldn't be stamping them in time. They should just be saying, this is a release for the ages. It's the deluxe edition of Thriller.
3: Well, not only that, but they also then lock themselves into that format in that we had Thriller 25, and then people were expecting a Thriller 30 or a 35, and now they've got Thriller 40 they're going to be going, okay, well, I wonder what they're going to do for Thriller 50. Right. You know, they lock themselves into that format.
1: That, But that wasn't the intention with what Michael was doing with Thriller 25 and that's the thing that Not at all. people say, oh, it, it's like this because this is the way Michael did it. The whole thing with Thriller 25 was that Michael actually was planning a brand-new pop album and he had some other issues going on in the background, finances, Neverland, loans, needed cash. Things were going on that circumstantially brought us to the point where Thriller – 25 as a as an album with 2008 remixes which were literally labeled as 2008 remix stamped in the time he stamped them in 2008 because in 2008 he was moving towards a reintroduction of himself as an artist in in the pop culture scene in preparation to go public with a new album of new material which was being produced in collaboration with the people who remixed the stuff on Thriller 25. So, it was kind of like dipping his toe into the water. And even when Neo, which was one of the songwriters that was writing for Michael Jackson's new album, they asked him, like, well, we've been hearing about Michael's new album. Now we've got this Thriller 25th anniversary. Like, why is he doing that? And Neo said, well, I think it's a good idea because Michael hasn't put anything out for a long time. People need to rediscover Michael Jackson the musician and so by putting out a 2008 version of Thriller which will lead people back to the original Thriller but it's also contemporary with new versions of songs, it's a good idea so that he can then people will embrace him with his new music more easily. The new generation maybe doesn't know. Michael Jackson. That's that, But that was what Michael was doing while he was alive and still actively pursuing his own return to the pop music scene. Michael has been dead for 13 years now. So, it's we don't have that same circumstances. We don't have the same necessity to do it that way. There's, you know, all of the different things that led to Thriller 25 being Thriller 25 don't exist now. We have an estate that's generated $2.7 billion since- Michael's death. They have the ability to do the top quality, best of the best of everything. They don't have to cut costs, corners. They don't have to fit on anyone's time schedule. They don't have to listen or be dictated to by anybody and they can do it all the best of the best. And The fact that they, they don't do that, it seems like they don't work with you know, experts like Paul said they don't work with they don't work with everybody. They kind of have bad relationships with some people, and there's some producers that won't talk to them, and some producers they won't talk to. Some pro- like there's, there's it's it's not a, a happy place, but it should be, and they should be able to smooth all of those negative relationships over and say, put let's put everything aside. Because we all are here for Michael Jackson. Let's make this the best thing because it's his legacy that's on the line. It's, it's his fans that receive the product. Everyone else needs to put themselves second and say, Michael Jackson first and the fans second and everybody else just take a seat. And it doesn't seem like there's, that's happening with the music products anyway. That's, I think that's a, a reason why we have these issues with things being thrown on there that maybe don't belong and that's been released and that's easy because we've cleared the rights for that 20 years ago and, you know, let's keep that for another album because we want to, you know, put our executive produced by name on that and remix it in the future and, if you know, it seems like there's all these other kind of motives going on, all these other kind of reasons going on for things that happening the way it's happening and, and none of the reasons are let's think about what, what's best for Michael Jackson and his fans. So it's a little bit frustrating.
3: That sort of brings us nicely, I suppose, onto the next point that I was going to raise in that the cultural landscape of music is vastly different to what it was when Thriller 25 was released, let alone when Thriller, the original, was released. Sean, as someone who experienced the release of Thriller firsthand, do you really think that they've captured the essence of what Thriller is all about with either Thriller 25 or Thriller 40? And if not, how could they do that?
2: No, I, I, they have not because it was such a such a massive album and such a massive time. Again, the Michael Mania was huge. I mean, unlike anything uh, I don't think anyone's ever experienced, and since, even since then. I agree. I, I can't remember if it was Damien or Paul said it, that, you know, like the Prince State, they just put out the deluxe version, and they make it about the quality. And I think what happens now, and especially since he's passed away, is that you know the quality is being put to the side. Um, and so what is actually doing to me is actually diminishing. You know, with which with every Thriller twenty five, with ever with every Thriller forty, it kind of diminishes when you put together these types of projects, and the quality just isn't there. Um, and we know Michael. And, and and the entire production team, they went to great pains to make sure that this album was had the quality sound. And Damien, I know you in your podcast you talked about, you know, when they first played the first, you know, mix of it and how, how bad it sounded and how Michael walked away and he was in tears. And that just to- that tells you how much, you know, they put into this and how much quality meant to them. And so I think what happens is, you know, Every time they do something like this, it just simply diminishes it, so I think it needs to get to the point where you know you have people who actually care about the legacy, who actually care about the music and who actually care about putting together a quality project, and like you said, not stamping it in time. this is thriller deluxe version, this is what he was working on. this is how we have remixed it or how we have made the quality much better than, you know, we're not just giving you haphazard, you know, uh, tape recorded uh, demo versions. We're giving you quality work that Michael was working on. Obviously it's just, it's not there. And I think that's the most frustrating part about um, the estate uh, and what's been coming out under Michael's name since he's passed away. Um, The quality just isn't there. It's really frustrating because he, this is the greatest artist of all time and for his estate and for the music and the product uh, to come out and to be, in many cases, substandard. It's just unacceptable.
0: I think there is a tendency, it seems, with releases where it's like we'll just sprinkle a little bit. We don't want to give too much away. We'll save. There is a there is a mentality of let's save stuff, and it's always frustrating because it feels like they're saving stuff for what, for when? Like when when is it going to happen? Uh, like so, ten tracks on the album, as is it ten? Yeah, ten bonus tracks. It's like you know why why only ten? cuz you know there should be at least 12 or more on one disc and there's obviously a few obvious omissions it just feels like the only reason they would only put 10 on is because they just want to save stuff and and it seems like it's been that way with every release we we don't want to put out everything we've got cuz we really want to save it for the future it just doesn't feel like that future is is going to come it's like what are you saving it for you know i mean there's obvious omissions as we've already talked about with this you know bonus disc you know but there's other there's other tracks that you'd expect to be on there like maybe one or both versions of someone in the dark particularly mm-hmm. second Someone in the Dark, which doesn't get a lot of play. Uh, Part two, which is different lyrics. There was things like that. Then there's tracks you hear about. There's probably a bunch of them. I don't know all the names, but there's things like Rolling the Dice or stuff like that. So there's a whole bunch of tracks that potentially could have been sort of on there. And the only reason that that it's not a full extended, you know, two, three discs worth of material feels like because they're sort of saving it, Um, which again is the difference with, with the Prince model where The Prince Estate will say, dude, uh, 1999, and there'll be like three discs of every version and outtakes and different songs and B-sides. I think Sign of the Times had three or four discs, you know, of all different songs and outtakes from that era and songs that became other songs. And they just said, this is everything we've got in the vault that would relate to this release, gives you a sense of what he was feeling and thinking and doing at the time. And that's a different model to the way the Michael stuff's happening. The Michael stuff seems to be, let's do an anniversary product and see if we can get away with putting out as little as possible so we can save a lot for the future. But what you end up with in terms of legacy, if you look back in 10 years over the last sort of 20 20 or 30 years of Michael's catalog, you just end up with all these releases that are all a bit like a little bit of this, bit of that. It doesn't feel like a very complete well-executed plan there's no like Damien was saying there's no five or ten year plan of well let's really work on thriller and get the best ultimate version of thriller released let's do that for off the wall let's do it for dangerous etc it just seems like we'll put something out with a few things here and there and there's going to be a lot of things missing and you think well what happens to those missing things are they going to come back later on another version or are they just going to disappear into the ether and who knows, they might show up on a another posthumous sort of remix, contemporized album where they'll, you know, it just feels a little bit all over the place and you sort of have to wonder why they don't just take the time to do it once and do it right and talk to all the right people, do the research and get a complete package that has everything that should be there. And if there is stuff that we're sort of questioning that maybe shouldn't be there, that's fine if it's the third disc of other songs he was working on or went on to work on around that era. But it, it seems weird that it's at the expense of things that, that really should be there that aren't. Yeah. And
1: just on, on one point that you made there about like why are things not on the disc, it's like there are some things that are actually previously released like the girl is mine solo version the demo that michael wrote before he recorded it with paul mccartney it is released on the the girl is mine 2008 single so it's not even unreleased but it's also excluded from this it's like this is a released thing that you've just like could have been 11 tracks on on this bonus disc it could have been 12 with the someone in the dark edition and all of a sudden you're saying to go okay like there's one less complaint we can include that and these are previously released songs. It's like there's not, not even the argument that they're saving this for something future. Like these are released and they're still excluded, which makes even less sense than saving things that are unreleased. To me, it, that, that's bamboozling and bemusing. Is Could it be that unlike
2: the Prince Estate, for example, there's a finite amount of material and so... They're only working with so many songs from that era and they're shuffling these songs around and they're, again, we're tying them to anniversary dates. Could that be a reason? I'm just throwing that out there for the panel.
1: If there's finite material though, like you're using songs from previous like eras on the wrong box set, Correct. then you're, you're automatically making the finite material that could belong on something else when there are plenty of things that belong on this one, you're making that, that material for the other release- even more difficult to satisfy a fan. Yeah, that's why I say there's there's no big picture here. It's just it's just the pin the tail on the donkey style of of and it's been it's felt like that. It's felt like they have been literally blindfolded and, and roaming around with no clue what they're going to do no. since Bad Twenty Five. And I think Bad Twenty Five was a pretty good set with some issues. This isn't about Pad Twenty Five, but it it felt like the very early stages of pin the tail on the donkey. And I think it's just gone. Downhill since then.
2: If you listen to like, or like, for instance, like what Motown did with uh, Marvin Gaye's material, they did a phenomenal job of deluxe versions of "What's Going On," "Trouble Man," "Let's Get It On," uh, "I Want You." I mean, I'm a huge Marvin Gaye fan, and I always think about. You know, the way they were able to do those and do those with quality is the same way that the MJ estate should be doing Michael's work. You know, with the what's going on, the last deluxe version, they included a uh, concert that he did in D.C. That's absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and, And so it's just the model has already been set in terms of how they could actually approach this. And I'm I'm just using Marvin Gaye as an example, Uh, but the, the, the model is already there. And so, it's really baffling as to why it's playing out the way that it is for Michael.
3: Yeah. I understand the need to not put absolutely everything out there and leave yourself with nothing to release in future, but surely the magic of Thriller and why Thriller was so special is because of what was released and the cultural effect of those particular songs. I understand also the need to capture a new audience and put out the uh, the estate's argument is to put out newer versions of those classic songs which we'll get to very shortly but surely in order to capture the essence of the original release and what made this album a phenomenon surely it would be better to release those original songs to the new audiences now i understand that it's already out there in the public domain it's up to people to search for thriller and find it themselves but you're not going to capture the original magic by a Kanye
1: West version of Billie Jean, which, in my opinion, is terrible. But in defense defense of remixes, if they're remixes of classic songs, where does the remix of a classic song lead back to? It leads back to the original version of the song. Where does a remix of an unreleased demo that Michael put in the vault and never thought about for 20 years lead back to? Nowhere. If it's remixed with a contemporary artist, for example, like Don't Matter to Me with Drake... Where does that lead back to? Drake. It doesn't have any benefit to Michael mm-hmm. Jackson's legacy. Exactly. Other, th- other than the fact that a flash-in-the-pan moment where it you know gets streamed 100 million times in a week and it goes in the Billboard chart and then disappears from existence. It gives Michael a benefit for two or three weeks because his name's associated with a popular artist and then it disappears. But if you have remixes of classic songs, that leads those people who discover the, the remix to back to the original so I do think there's a benefit of remixing the original songs but I don't think there's any benefit of remixing the unreleased songs
3: yeah I, I understand that and I agree to a point I Like, for example what SWV did with human nature that was good because it was it was not really detracting or taking away from the original human nature uh using the Kanye West version of Billie Jean as an example it doesn't bear any resemblance to the original it, what made the original great is the bass line
1: yeah for sure
3: obviously the lyrics as well, and you don't have any of that.
1: Subjectively, of course, it's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Conceptually, like the idea of a remix is not bad, but obviously subjectively we can poo-poo the remixes as much as we want to. But, yeah, I I get what you're saying.
3: Yeah. Well, okay, so before we lead into those you know, multiple versions
0: of the songs that were already out there.
3: Does anyone else have anything left to say about the demos and the songs that were included on Thriller 40?
0: I just might just quickly throw in a comment on what you were just talking about. As far as the remixes go, I think it's just, once again, a very different model um, of how to reach an audience and market a product. So the Michael estate and the Michael sort of releases seem to be focused on trying to get new fans keep up to date with the now, in the moment, let's keep the latest artists, the latest remixes to get out there, DJs, whoever, to put all this together so we can reach people who might think Michael Jackson's sort of someone from the past. So that's how they do it. And that's the obvious difference to, say, the Prince model with the Prince estate is they are just basically trying to remaster and re-deliver and capture the original essence of a product and an album and a release and put it all out there for the fans and for people to engage with it. They're not trying to make new Prince fans. They're not trying to find new people. They're not trying to remain relevant and say, hey, this is cool for kids now. They're just saying he was brilliant and this is what he did, and now you can enjoy it in all its expanded glory, and you can just bathe in it, and you can just enjoy it and the purity of it. And I wish that they were doing more of that with Michael. They would just say, let's give you all of the pure stuff. We've talked at length about what seems to be absent and what they've put on and what they haven't put on. It just seems like, why don't you just give us everything that already exists that is there so we can just enjoy it in its full extended glory and just dig deeper into the album and all its versions and variations. And I just feel like instead of doing that, they're just focusing more on trying to sort of keep things current and make a big deal out of making it relevant again when I don't think you have to do that with stuff that's just classic and brilliant.
3: Absolutely. And to that end, I suppose that's why I have a little bit of an issue with the 2008. Kanye West version of Billie Jean and the 2008 version of Beat It with Fergie <laughs> and the 2008 version of Want to Be Starting Something with Akon because nothing says staying relevant with current audiences like 15-year-old versions of a 40-year-old song, does it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, the, these those things should absolutely not have been included on this because, like I said earlier, those things were done in 2008 to appeal to people in 2008 because Michael was alive in 2008 and trying to make his presence felt in the music industry to open the door for himself to re enter the music industry as a current artist. This Thriller 40 is not the 15th anniversary of Thriller 25. Exactly. It's, this, it's the 40th anniversary of nine tracks that became the biggest selling album in history. Mm-hmm. Anything that happened after that album hit the market is totally irrelevant to the anniversary of that album. You can't be including, or I mean, they have, but they should, in my opinion, you shouldn't be including remixes that were done to appeal to audiences in 2008, which have literally no connection to the original album. Yeah. It, it makes absolutely no sense to include them. And like Paul said earlier, at the expense of other stuff. Yeah.
3: And I'll just put this out there I don't hate all of the 2008 versions of some of the songs. I really like the Wanna Be Starting Something version with Akon. There's also PYT with Will I Am and The Girl Is Mine with Will I Am. I don't hate all of the versions, but I just. Yeah, I don't see the relevance of 2008 versions of the song on Thriller 40 at the expense of, as I mentioned earlier, great songs like Hot Street. And we know that there are hundreds and hundreds of songs that Michael wrote and or recorded through that era that potentially could have been included and hopefully will be
2: included on future versions. So can I just say that I absolutely hate the remixes of the original versions? It's a classic. It's a classic album. You don't need to do anything more to those songs. So I always skip those. I, I, I despise, there's no reason to. I, I introduce my kids to, to Michael Jackson. They know his songs. You don't touch a classic like this. You don't need to fiddle with it. All you need to do is make sure the quality is up to par uh, with current technology. And so I, I will be the one that will say that, I don't need to hear any remixes. The only I, I, no, there's no remix of any Michael Jackson song that I <laughs> that I love or that I even like. If you're gonna make it an extended version, then I'm okay with
1: that. To their credit though, they didn't remix anything for this project. Like there's no actual remixes done specifically for Thriller 40. And that's a good thing. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. And I suppose to expand on on and maybe Sean, you might feel the same way, maybe you don't. But like for example, I think the reason that I didn't like the majority of these remixes is because they were included on a thriller package. If it was, you know, someone just doing yes. their own cover version of a Michael Jackson song, it maybe would have mm-hmm. been, you know, I probably still wouldn't have liked it other than the, like I say, I do like the "Wanna Be starting something Akon version, but do I think it should have been included as part of a thriller package? No, probably not. I understand why it was at the time when Michael was alive and trying to be relevant to current audiences, but you know, here we are in 2022, the 40th anniversary of Thriller. I mean, I don't know about you, but I haven't even heard of or heard from Fergie in the last five to ten years. So I don't even <laughs> – how can you argue that that's any kind of relevance?
2: No, and, but I, and I, let me take that back. There, there are some remixes that I like. So Single White Glove does – phenomenal remixes Absolutely. of Michael Song. And so if you want to include those, then yes, I'm hooked. I love his work and I'm sure there are others, but when you start trying to get the hottest, you know, if, if, if we're getting, you know, K-pop artists to do, to cover Michael songs, or you're trying to get the latest, you know, producer to remix it, 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 it does nothing. No. It does nothing for me and does nothing for the actual product. But get Single White Glove and let him do some work on the project. Yeah,
3: absolutely. My biggest fear, which I'm so thankful wasn't realized, is that what there was going to be you know, up-to-date versions of Michael's songs. And my absolute fear was that one of them was going to be Justin Bieber.
0: But thankfully, that fear was not realized. <laughs> I think the benchmark for remixes for Michael Jackson, in my opinion, is the Bad album because of all the the era that it was in of the 12-inch mixes, where they basically just let you bathe in the song for 10 minutes instead of four or five minutes. It's all pure. It's all based on the original multi-tracks. You might get extended vocals, extended breakdowns, bass lines, ad-libs. That, to me, is really the best way to enjoy alternate versions of Michael's songs, and unfortunately, in the era of Thriller, they didn't do a lot of, even the, the long version of Billie Jean um, was probably the only one. All of the others that they claim are extended mixes, they're not really that much different. So it's great when people like Single White Glove or Remix by Nick come along and they take multi-tracks and they kind of create a version that's of that sort of nature. It feels like a twelve inch extended mix using all the original elements and letting you hear things that you didn't hear before or hear them in a different way, but it still has the same feeling and essence of the track that Michael probably would have loved, as opposed to, you know, this, you know, latest person, this latest artist or DJ is remixing it and putting their name stamped all over it or whatever is going on. That doesn't appeal to me and it may appeal to younger audiences, but for my vote Any mixes that they can do that actually sound like they were 12 inch extended versions based on multi tracks is the only way to go if you're going to try and satisfy the fans, you know, in my opinion.
2: I, I agree. And it kind of goes back to that uh, the John Luongo version of uh, remix of Shake Your Body. You know, if, if you're familiar with that, that to me is one of my it's actually I prefer that version of Shake Your Body to the original. And so when you can create something like that, like you say, using the multitracks and just creating a different sound for that song, then, you know, it, it gets my vote.
3: Alrighty, we're going to wrap up this section now about the Thriller 40 album. And I'm going to put all of you on the spot and ask you to give marks out of 10 for Thriller 40, and you can base that on the whole package of songs included or however you want to categorize that. But marks out of 10, let's start with you, Damien.
1: On the spot, indeed. Haven't really thought about it. Um, got to take a lot of things into consideration to really give that mark, and that includes the promotion, the packaging, the song selection, the quality of the songs that were selected, blah, 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 blah. And I'm going to exclude the original album itself because that's obviously an 11 out of 10. That can't be diminished in any way. It doesn't matter what they do. The original album stands the test of time and doesn't – nothing can destroy that. Um, But as far as the, the way that the rest of it is presented, the song selections, the packaging and everything and what it could have been, what I was hoping for it to be, Thrill is my favorite album. I was ready to get this album. And I didn't buy it, by the way. I did not buy Thriller 40. I was not interested in buying this particular thing. I love what a lovely way to go. I can stream it. 2 out of 10. Like, I'm serious. Like, this is this is way short of what Thriller 40 should be. And that's excluding the 4K. So the 4K stuff is phenomenal. It's beautiful. It's excellent. Obviously, they didn't tell anybody it existed. They still haven't told anyone it existed. The only people that know it exists is fans who found it themselves and shared it themselves. But but yeah, Thriller 40, the package, 2 out of 10. Okay. I give it about 2 out of 10 and that. And what a lovely way to go on Behind the Mask original. Literally, are the two.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Alrighty, Paul.
0: Yeah, I would just look at the track listing and say all my hopes and dreams for what this could have been, how many of the things that are on there out of those 10 tracks, for example, I'm like so excited and happy to have. And it's probably two or three of them. So, I'd probably go 3 out of 10. And yes, we'll get to it later, probably talking about what we would have loved to have been, what our hopes and dreams were for this package. Uh, I think they fell far, far short of what it really could and should have been. But based on just the tracks that are there, I'd say it's not going to warrant more than three out of 10 from me.
2: Okay, fair enough. And Sean? So I will go um, four out of 10 uh, because of the four tracks that I talked about at the outset. And I agree with Paul and, and Damien that it just is, it falls short. It just seems haphazard, put together haphazardly. A- again, I agree with Damien. You can't touch the the original album, but I think Thriller deserves better. It deserves more. We deserve more as fans. Michael's legacy deserves more. And so uh, we need to keep pressing the estate to give us better quality. And so this isn't it. So I'm going to go with 4 out of 10.
3: Okay. Well, I, I suppose this is a rare show of British optimism, really, because I think that my mark would have been uh, slightly higher Having said that, there are things that let it down, such as the, the inclusion of the Thriller 25 tracks instead of things like Hot Street, as we've touched on earlier. As a whole package, though, I agree with what you're saying when it comes to the 4K videos, the marketing, the original font that they put out, and the ridiculous hoodies. <laughs> I'm actually bringing my mark down a little bit now because of that. Originally, I was going to say, as a whole package, including the original songs, I was going to give it a 7. But I'm fickle. I've listened to what you've all said there. I agree with it all. And so I'm going to bring it down to a five out of 10 with the total package. Without the original nine songs, I'll go with a four out of 10.
0: Wow. Okay, cool. I'm thinking we had two, three, four, and then maybe five.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: like I
0: said,
3: I'm fickle. I have my opinions colored by other people's opinions because then I, I feel like I'm more informed.
0: Can I just clarify, the reason I'm giving it three out of ten is for me personally as a fan, there's probably two or three things on there that I'm excited about. If I hadn't heard all these things or had them all before, I might give it a slightly higher mark. But for me, it's just because I've either already got in perfect quality on other releases or I've already heard them a hundred times in some form or another. So that's why. Maybe to a fresher audience or a newer fan, it might be a much sort of better package, but, f- you know, it comes back to who is the audience. Are you releasing these products for the loyal fans who have been around forever and who, you know, want to experience something of a high quality or are you doing it for a newer audience or are you trying to do both?
2: Yeah. I think, I think the estate really misses, the, misses out on the fact that, so, for instance, I'm 50. So, I was 10 when, uh, when Thriller came out. You don't look a day over 30. Well, thank you. Um, But then you also have fans who are maybe 10 years older than me. And so they lived through the Jackson 5 era. And so, you know, you're still talking about longtime fans who are 50, 60 years old. And so those are fans who, you know, they not only want to relive it, but they want to hear, you know, something new, something fresh from that era. So getting back to those bonus tracks, you know, they're missing out on that opportunity to really capture us. So as you're going to going after that young audience, they're not going to buy this because, you know, you got some remixes on there with some current artists. I think the state really needs to think about the longtime fans. And we are the ones who are, you know, we're going to shell out the money. We want to hear Michael. You know, we want to hear we want to go back and relive that time. Uh, And so I really think they are missing out on that.
0: I think the other thing is just with the long-term fans, they're of an era where physical product is what they grew up with. So the market for an actual physical release, you know, a CD or a box set or even vinyl or anything like that, your market is those true loyal fans that are of a certain age where it doesn't feel really odd to want to buy a deluxe package, you know? So that's the other thing. It's 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 kind of great to be sort of modernizing things for a younger audience, but if you wanted to tap into a market, you've got people who would probably pay quite a lot of money. Again, as evidenced by The Prince Estate, all of those products are probably way too expensive, but for the people of a certain age and of a certain era who grew up with that kind of physical package, That's something they can look forward to and actually enjoy the way they used to enjoy. And it brings back memories of like holding a vinyl set or a package set or reading a booklet. So there is a market for physical medium amongst fans who have been long-term fans. And they're obviously of a certain age if they've been long-term fans. Um, So that's where the physical product could be something that could be done for the fans. But I feel like that's not really the direction they're going. They're thinking long-term, we need to make money of future generations, which is an interesting approach. But obviously, as a long term fan, I would much prefer that they cater to everything I want. <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly. I feel the same way. Absolutely.
3: All righty. Well, something that was part of the cultural revolution that Thriller bought was Michael Jackson's innovation when it came to music videos, or as he preferred to call them, short films. And luckily, he had enough foresight back in the day to record these visual art pieces on the highest possible quality film that was available. But it's taken a long time for the estate or whoever it might be to bring that to the fore. And we've recently had two videos slash short films from the thriller era released in 4K, which some people are of the attitude about bloody time. Others are just celebrating the fact that we've got them. We now have the full Thriller short film in 4K and the music video to beat it. The rumor is that Billie Jean is on the way as well. And wouldn't we all just love to see more Michael Jackson visual art in 4K or higher? Now, I remember a couple of years ago, uh, the estate released the full Ghosts short film in high definition. And it was then subsequently removed. And it's back to the normal video that's on YouTube. I am so happy to see Thriller and Beat It in 4K. I think this is a huge win for the Michael Jackson estate. They quite rightly get a lot of criticism for some of the decisions that they make. In my opinion, they cannot be faulted for getting these videos out in 4K and I hope that that's not going to be the end of it. Hopefully there is more on the way. Billie Jean would be a great start. But how good would things like Smooth Criminal, Bad, the way you make me feel when we get to the later eras. Uh, I know there's some issues from, you know, going across from film as a medium to digital. But to start with Thriller and Beat It in 4K is wonderful. Sean, do you think that the release of these videos in 4K and the extra details that you can see because of it and the maintaining of the aspect ratios. And Paul will come to you about this as well because this is your area of expertise. But for Sean, do you think that the re-release of these in 4K helps to capture the emotion and the cultural significance of the early 1980s?
2: Absolutely, because to have lived through it, you just don't understand how much we look forward to watching these videos over and over and over again. And to see Michael, because you have to remember up until this time, you know, you had certain shows where you could see your favorite artists. So in America, it was uh, Soul Train, American Bandstand, uh, Solid Gold. And so by this time, uh, I think the last time that the brothers, Michael and the brothers were on American Bandstand was for the Destiny album and same thing for Soul Train. So they had stopped and he had stopped uh, appearing on television. And so for us to now be able to see him in this light uh, was just exciting. And I think what this does when when you're able to, you know, look at it in 4K, again, for an old time fan like myself, I mean, it really does bring back that excitement. But I'll also add another one. Can you feel it? And I don't think it gets enough credit for um how innovative it was at the time. Because again, we had never seen anything like that, um, especially out of the Jacksons. And we were, you know, the Jacksons were huge, but to actually see that video and see that the way the way that they put it together, you know, that was that was huge. And I, I talked about it my first the first time I was on, like they opened the Triumph Tour showing that video. And I think it just we were just captivated, and so I think you have to take a step back. And I think you got, you got to include. Can you feel it in there? Because I think that really was the catalyst for what we what was to come in terms of a thriller. Billy Jean beat it. Smooth Criminal.
3: Paul, this is absolutely your area of expertise. So I'm particularly interested to hear your thoughts on not just the the videos themselves and the art form and how the different shots were made, but this. It's not upscaling. That's not the correct term, is it? But this increase in quality to 4K, what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I mean, first off, it's amazing. It's really what all Michael fans have all really wanted for everything visual that he did. We want to see it in the highest possible quality. We're sort of, I guess, unfortunate. I mean, we're blessed that we lived in an era where Michael Jackson was alive and being creative. But, you know, the, the negative side of, of the technology is that we also lived in an era where, you know, we had 4 by 3 TVs and we had video instead of high definition. And so, you know, copies and masters and all that kind of stuff, the quality is not necessarily the strongest, say if you're a fan of, I don't know, Taylor Swift or something, everything's just high def and digital. Um, So, yes, absolutely, this is what we want uh, as fans is to see things in the highest quality. And just quickly talking about things like can you feel it, talking about... Billie Jean hopefully coming just so people know the difficulty with those things is because they contain a lot of visual effects and in those days it was probably optical effects done where you sort of have to lay one thing over another and you lose quality so it's easy to take something like Billie Jean or Thriller and go back and possibly find the original negative and possibly even do a new negative cut where you just rescan and rebuild it You can do that because it's just straight film shots cut together but when you get something like billy jean which has got all the split screens and the freeze frames and the different effects they can't just recreate that without recreating the effects unless the original original master that included the effects was of a super high quality which it probably wouldn't be because of the effects and the duplication and the loss of of generation of quality same with can you feel it it's laden with all those effects and it's fantastic. But even if you took the master of that, it's probably not gonna live up to the standard that you'd want. So they'd have to dig back and see if they've got the original actual footage to rescan, remaster, and see if they can recreate or rebuild a lot of those visual effects. So just so fans know, anything that's got visual effects in it, it's not as simple as just saying remaster it for those reasons. But when you take Thriller and beat it, it's pretty standard stuff. Uh, well, it's brilliant stuff, but, you know, in terms of its visual effects, for the most part, it's all what we call in-camera. So, yeah, I'm super excited about these. Uh, some of us have seen the thriller either in 3D or in a cinema uh, remastered a few years back. So, it's great to finally see that available for everyone to see. Um, from a technical point of view, what it looks like they've done is they've gone back and rescanned the original negatives and basically, up res, well, its not really an up-res, It's basically scanned it in 4K, um, or maybe they scanned it even higher, and they've just presented it in 4K. So it looks fantastic um, on a technical level. What they've essentially done is they've, they've these were shot probably 35 millimeter film with an open mat, so they're kind of like square four by three kind of shape. So they've presented us definitely with the full versions of each of these films. They're not cropping anything off specifically. Uh, in widescreen or anything like that. What we are actually getting is more than we bargained for. You're actually getting in both of these versions a little bit extra around the edge, which is a little controversial as well because a cinematographer will go to great lengths to make sure the exact framing and cropping of the image is how they want it. And what you've got in this case, in both It and Thriller, is you've got a little bit extra at the sides, top and bottom, so it's great that you can see more. You go, wow, we can see more. It's fully remastered and we've got the whole thing. But sometimes you don't want to see the edges or you don't want to see it. It looks a little better if it's framed more artistically. And obviously things like Beat It, you've got this guy on the ladder on the side and some crew member sitting there uh, underneath the ladder at the very end of the thing. It's the second last shot. So that's now far more visible. And in remastered in 4K, it's even more visible. Um, So, there are those issues. Beat it looks like a basic, let's scan the whole thing and present it. Thriller, they seem to have moved things up vertically, but it may be a pan and scan situation where they've selectively moved certain shots up. So, obviously, the lighting grid at the top of the graveyard is kind of cropped out because they've moved everything up. However, they didn't move it up enough. You can still kind of see it a little bit at the top. So, they've done a pretty decent job with Thriller, by going through all the shots and seeing the full extended frame around the edges, but then they have move shots up just to adjust the headroom and to make it sort of look a little bit better than if they just left it exposed, whereas beat it, they just left it. You can see all the edges and everything. But the quality is definitely fantastic, and that's what we've really wanted. So uh, I think they've done an amazing job at that. Damien? So I'm just blown away
1: by Paul's testimony. I um, I love the depth of knowledge he has On this stuff because I have personally I have no knowledge about film and so when I'm watching the new versions of these the 4k versions of these videos I'm not looking at them analytically at all it's like the opposite of the way that I look at the music like the way that I look at the 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 demos and whatever have been included uh, and I'm kind of criticizing them and saying why is there here and why is it like that and with the videos it's the opposite I just sat there and I was like watching them as if I'd never seen them before. I was totally blown away. I think it's, for me, the 4K videos is the best thing the estate has done in the last 13 years. I think it's, as far as just the way it it affected me, it was massive. I can't even quite put it into words. I thought it was just spectacular. And um, I'm not much of a fan of the song Thriller, but I watched it several times and I loved it. I thought it was just beautiful and beat it as well. And it was fucking spectacular. So yeah. I have no opinion other than I absolutely loved it. And we would we as the fans would absolutely love to see more of that throughout Michael's discography where it's possible. That's it. Blown away. Just the crispness.
2: And I, I agree with you, Damian Paul, you did a phenomenal job of just breaking down the analytical part of of these videos, but just the crispness and the the colors and you know, I'm playing thriller right now. Um, and I'm watching, I'm just looking at the, the red jacket and the red pants and, you know, it's just everything is just it pops, you know. And so, again, it's, it's allowing us to to relive this and kind of, you know, it's almost like viewing it for the first time because it is just so is you're seeing so many things for the first time and you're noticing things for the first time. I think someone even brought up and I went back and I watched it uh, in the beat it video where he's uh, in the bed. There's actual an actual cigarette in an ashtray Uh, and so that's stuff we just didn't pick up the first time around watching it Uh, but now you can actually see these things and so it's just you know i'm like you damien i can go back and watch it over and over again because it's just you know the quality is just
1: there yeah i got a little bit emotional watching it i was like Mm. i know i know i know how great he is but like (laughs) when you get to see it in a whole new way this is the stuff that makes us feel like we're getting something new in my opinion like i don't feel like i'm getting something new when I get like a a, like a demo or something like that, even though we've never heard it before, this feels more new to me because it feels like it's 2022 and it feels like anyone who went and watched that would be seeing Michael Jackson at the level that the current day and age allows the contemporaries to be viewed. He is able to be viewed on the same level and the same quality through the same lens as the biggest artists of today. And, and, and that's, that's for me, rather than remixes and rather than all of these other things that they can do to appeal to the kids, this is the way that I think they should do it because kids have phones and tablets and they get on YouTube and they watch things. And when we discovered Michael, whatever, at whatever stage of our lives and however old we were, we fell in love with, with Michael. With the real Michael, we didn't fall in love with the remixes and we didn't fall in love with all this other stuff. We fell in love with Michael. So if kids are now discovering Michael for the first time and there's a chance where they stumble across the Beat It video, you know, maybe it's the, the first and only chance that Michael Jackson will have to sell himself to those children. And they've been watching Taylor Swift and they've been watching all of these other artists and their beautiful videos and they see the potato quality version of Beat It, <laughs> they might be like, oh, this is blurry. I'm skipping to the next thing. But if the 4K thing pops up and it's beautiful the way it is, then they might be more likely to engage with it and watch it again because it feels like it belongs in 2022 alongside all of those other things.
3: That is such a great point, and yeah, you're absolutely right. And and I've got to that point when I'm watching through different things on YouTube as well. If it's not in
1: you know really good
3: quality, I'm just going to hit next because it doesn't seem like it's current or relevant. Even if it says on the caption, "Oh, this was uploaded five years ago," you go, okay. Well, if if the the four K or the HD quality isn't there, I'm not watching it. For me, when I watched both of them for the first time a couple of weeks ago, I. Watched it like, a, you know, as if it was the first time. It was incredible. You're noticing things that you'd never noticed before. And what helps, I suppose, as well is the fact that now that my wife and I have been to Los Angeles and visited some of the locations that Thriller was filmed, such as the street where the zombies are doing the dance and the, the house at the end, Sean used the phrase earlier that it just pops And he took the words right out of my mouth. It does just look incredible, especially on a larger TV screen. If you watch YouTube through your TV, do yourself a favor and and watch these videos on a large screen because it's just incredible. And like I said, right at the top of this topic, that is an absolute win for the estate that they've done this. But it's just a start. Let's hope that this is not just these two or three music videos or short films that come out in this kind of quality.
0: Can I ask, how do people feel about Thriller in terms of the brightness of it? Because we're so used to seeing this really degraded, bleeding, oversaturated version where everything's so dark and you can't see anything. But growing up with it does sort of, you know, it colors your opinion of it probably. But there was just something about it that kind of added to the creepiness or the scariness of it. And for me, my brain is still getting used to seeing it so exposed, particularly like, you know, with the werecats running around in the forest and even some of the the, the zombie stuff. It's not as dark and rich as it used to be. And I'm just curious because I know that I believe George Falsey Jr., the editor and producer of the film, and John Landis supervised uh, the remastering and, and of Thriller. I mean, Bob Painter, the the cinematographer, is no longer with us, so he didn't really supervise that, which normally is what happens, you get the cinematographer to come back and supervise it. But it feels like it was in good hands. But I'm just curious what you all think because we're so used to seeing it so dark and now it feels like it's much brighter. You can see everything. But are we seeing too much? Is it too overexposed? Is it still as scary? What do you think about that?
3: I have to agree with uh the noticeable difference in the in the colours. Now I do a bit of amateur photography on the side as well mostly of airplanes but what i see in the community the aviation photography community is some people in photoshop or lightroom whatever they use they sort of overuse the shadows and highlights function to try and make the colors pop in addition to the saturation that you just said one thing i noticed about this version of thriller is how much the red from the suit popped now I don't think it's to a point where it's overbearing. I think they've actually got it just right. I think it looks fantastic. I cannot fault either of the videos. Beat it as well. The red jacket and beat it just pops. Uh, the coloration of all the other dances as well, especially the bloke who, you know, misses his steps at the end and still made it in the video. I thought it was fantastic.
2: <laughs> so in terms of thriller, uh, I don't think... What stood out to me, obviously, is it, it pops, the color pops, but also just looking at Michael... And I'm not going to get too often to the way he looks, but it just in terms of seeing how his his features and even the transformation, um, seeing how crisp and clear that is when he turns from, you know, a human being to a werewolf. And so I, I really think that this isn't, you know, as much as it is a, a horror film or a horror video, it's still a music video. And so for me, that's what I really kind of, you know, honed in on was just looking at and looking at Michael's features looking at his hair looking at how crisp things were and then that transformation just really kind of going back and rewatching certain aspects of you know how how he changed and how, what it looks like now and you know and just the colors as i go back and watch like you know even when they're doing the um, when they're walking down and he's singing to her you can notice that there's, there's she has red on her earrings are red her shoes are red everything is just just popping right out of out of the the screen and so They did a a great job of really kind of bringing it on. And it it doesn't lose anything with it being in 4K. I actually, you know, I'm more intrigued by going back and looking at the transformation of Michael to a werewolf.
1: So I don't know what the actual intention of the original film was. If we saw it the way we saw it, because that was the best presentation that it could be given in with the qualities that were available at the time, or if You know, if they could have presented it the way we see it now back in 1983, would they have done that? For me, I don't think it's too anything. I think it's beautiful. Um, I'm definitely not looking at it with a a critical eye as far as creative choices because I just don't know enough about the field and, and the way it looks, if it's right or wrong, too much of this or not enough of that. To me, I looked at it and I just thought it was perfect. So I enjoyed seeing details that I'd never seen before. Um, whether or not we were supposed to see those details or if, you know, whether or not we, like I said, whether or not they would have shown us those details in the original if the quality at the time allowed for that, who knows? We don't know, but we didn't see them before and we do see them now. I enjoy that and beyond that, I'm just, um, I I have no critical opinion of it. I just loved it. That's it.
0: I agree. I think it looks fantastic. I'm just so used to seeing one version. And I was just wondering if anyone else noticed those kind of things as well. I'm like, oh, it looks amazing. You can see everything so clearly. I think it does look great. I think they've done an amazing job. Um, But when I compared the two, I was like, wow, that original is so dark and you can barely see anything. And and, and I know that did add to something when I used to watch it. Um, So, it's just a, a different way of experiencing it now. Overall, I think it's so much, so much better. But it's, I was just curious. Do
1: you think it was an intentional creative choice to film it dark and to have it like that and so that when it would come on the screen, it would be dark? Or do you think that as a consequence of filming zombie scenes and, you know, scenes running through the woods and those kind of things in the dark, that it just presented more saturated and dark in the original version? Like, do you have any idea about what, what was possible and, and the reasons and circumstances of that, that extreme darkness back then or do you think it's just an intentional
0: choice i think it's a combination of both um it's definitely had its limitations um as far as exposure and things go so this rescan of the original negative has allowed us to bring out things that probably were never seen or in possibly intended to be seen uh, and definitely having it on VHS certainly, you know, degrades the quality. It's really dark and oversaturated and things like that. I'd probably come back to American Werewolf in London, which was sort of the inspiration created and by the same team of people. And that film, Remastered, still has a sort of dark, nice look to it. So I think intention-wise, it was originally intended of that era in the early 80s to be kind of dark and scary, and a lot of films looked a certain way back then. And now I feel like it's probably pushed it a little bit away from that to make it more clearer and more visible. And it's definitely lighter and brighter, but I think it's probably about right. I wouldn't say that's how it was intended, but I think it's the way the filmmakers now believe it should be and maybe would have done if they could have back then. They basically had some control, quite a lot of control, when they do what's called the color grading or the color timing to say how do we want it to look, what's the exposure, how dark, how bright, how much color, how, how blue is it, how red is it. They can control all those things like Charlie was talking about when he does photos. Uh, so they obviously intended it to look a certain way, but it does then depend on what medium or format it's being delivered on. Is it going to be projected On film in a cinema? Is it going to be mastered down to a tape and put onto television in, you know, NTSC or PAL or whatever? So, yes, they certainly would have intended it to look a certain way. And I believe at that time they probably thought it should be a little darker and it maybe hides some of the things that wouldn't look good if it was too exposed. But now it's remastered and it's rescanned. a lot of those things that they maybe thought probably looks better darker, it actually looks pretty darn great. So, it's like, actually, I, I, I have a feeling that in this new process, they probably sat there and decided, yeah, let's keep it like this. Let's make it a little bit brighter. Let's make it so you can see, doesn't that look amazing? So, I think they've looked at it with new eyes. And if I had to say, I would say they've probably made it a little bit more, over not overexposed, but a little bit brighter and clearer than they were when they were sitting there doing the grading 40 years ago.
3: Alrighty. As we wrap up this section on the 4k videos, I think we're all wanting more. So Billie Jean is allegedly on the way. So excluding Billie Jean and now obviously we have thriller and beat it. What two Michael Jackson videos or short films would you like to see in 4k?
2: Let's start with Sean. Well, for me, it would have to be Smooth Criminal and Remember the Time. Good choices. Very good choices. Yeah. But as an asterisk, anything that you can do to, you know,
1: bring, can you feel it to life? Do it. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. All righty. Damien. So, first, I have a question. Do we have Smooth Criminal in as good a quality as it can be? What
0: did um, what happened
1: with the Moonwalker film?
0: We kind of do on the, on the actual Moonwalker HD Blu-ray. Can it be better than what's on there? Not the self-contained version, but it's pretty darn good.
1: Yeah, so obviously smooth criminal for me is the, is the is the natural contender with Thriller to be his you know my most, most iconic video. You couldn't possibly have a conversation about 4k short films without smooth criminal being in that conversation. but I'm refusing to stick to two because I'm gonna pick black or white and I'm gonna pick um, remember the time and I think ghosts because Michael had a he actively said, that he wanted to do something with the Ghosts film. I don't think he was happy that it kind of fell into a a black hole and disappeared and the world never really got to see it or experience it the way he wanted them to. So Ghosts would be the other one for me. And the estate has alluded to 3D of Ghosts and whatever else. So there's clearly been conversations or they know the possibilities with that one. They clearly have access to the tapes for it if they're talking about doing it in 3D. So... Ghost is Ghost is something that I think was important to, to Michael. So if it was important to him, then it's important to me.
3: Very good. Good choices. I would struggle to pick two, and that's why I asked the question. Um, I think The Way You Make Me Feel would look great. It's got that a similar feel to Thriller just in a non-ghouly kind of way because it's still down dark alleyways and things like that. I think that a 4K uh, redo of The Way You Make Me Feel would just make things pop there just as much, and I'd be interested to see that. I think bad being put in 4K would uh, would be amazing, and what we said earlier about it—you know, people not skipping through the video and seeing a dance number as well in 4K—it just grabs their attention. Black or white was also going to be one of my choices, Damien. So it's a very, very good choice. So I am going to go with bad, and then I'm going to echo what Damien said with smooth criminal. And now, the film director himself, I really want to hear your thoughts on this. How can you pick just two, Michael Jackson or Jackson's short films or videos?
0: I can actually narrow down to just one, and that would be the torture video.
1: My God. i just kidding. <laughs> the only thing you could have said worse than that would have been, you
0: want to see Cry in HD. <laughs> okay I'm just kidding um, no seriously though um, for me it's it's a bit of a no-brainer for me I would pick Captain Eo number one because it's just amazing yeah good luck John Brank has flushed
1: that down the toilet
0: <laughs> um, flushed gone mm, goodbye see you later well if it was uh, if, if I had a choice I would say definitely Captain Eo not only because you know it has been shot. You know, in such a great way on film, etc., but also because it's not really widely available in in high quality. So that would probably be, a, be my number one. Uh, and then I would agree, Ghosts in full 4K resolution remastered, put into widescreen, would probably be th- the other one. And you'd get more bang for your buck if you got those two. I think. Um, but I'm a huge fan of the Bad Album, so pretty much every video off the Bad Album, I would love to see in the highest quality possible. So. That's what I reckon.
1: And I just want to add that I don't want to hurt the feelings of any of Michael's other short films by only picking a few (laughs) because they're all so fucking good. Yeah. Picking is not fair when it comes to Michael's songs and videos. It's just not fair. And so, I want to just send my love to all of the other videos that didn't get mentioned (laughs) because they're so fucking good. He didn't miss on videos until the Invisible Era. era. He didn't miss. It's, It's hard to leave out
2: Stranger in Moscow. Yeah. It's hard to leave that one out. It's it's hard for me to omit they don't care about us. Um, so it's just, it's it's hard. It's definitely it hard. So I, I agree. There is one that we do have in 4K, which we really didn't need and,
3: and didn't want. The official lyric video to want to be starting something. I mean, you can <laughs> remove that if you want. I'm not, I'm not a big fan yeah. of that. <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs>
1: And by the way, just just to explain to any listener who's listening and doesn't understand why I said John Branker had flushed Captain EO down the toilet, his first two TikToks that he made, he actively went out and picked a fight with Disney. It was in relation to the Chris Brown Thriller 40 tribute performance that was cancelled, but he came out aggressively and basically made sure that the world knew that ABC and Disney are no friend of John Branker and as the executor of the estate... I'm pretty sure that's one of those bad relationships that I alluded to earlier where the estate just can't seem to put beef aside and work with people uh, and put Michael number one. He obviously has something going on with Disney and Captain EO is a Disney-owned thing. So that's probably something we will never see anything special done with until the current administration of the estate is no longer. It's just the reality of it.
3: Could also explain why Michael's episode of The Simpsons is not shown on Disney Plus anymore. uh, Yeah, And they're sort of standing fast with that. But anyway, excellent thoughts, excellent uh, analysis of the videos. Thank you all very much for that. Now, next up in our discussion on this episode, the Thriller 40 documentary. Now, Paul, Damien and myself all watched this together in Sydney. Sean, it's my understanding that you haven't had a chance to see this documentary yet. That's correct. I I understand that you will as soon as you can absolutely so it'll be interesting well hopefully we don't ruin it for you uh and and give away the game with what's
2: in there well there's been a couple clips that's uh, made its way onto twitter yeah
3: and i want to say i'm a bit disappointed by that that as much as we want to get it out there for as many people to see i'm a little bit disappointed by the people that have decided to bootleg it we upon arrival at the theater in sydney we had our phones taken from us and it was explicitly said at the start of the showing that this is still a working progress and that they specifically didn't want people to record it and put it out there. And anyone who was found to be doing so would be asked to leave. So uh, the bootlegging recording is is disappointing. I understand that bootlegging has happened many times over the years. My favorite DJs admits to bootlegging a Michael Jackson gig in Leeds back in the Bad Tour. Um, that's Chris Moyles. This particular instance, they went out of their way to say, look, don't do this. It's not a finished product yet. We still want to you know, have our own chance to improve it. And for people to just ignore that and then publish it, I think it's a little bit disappointing. Don't at me. I'm not coming at you personally. I'm just saying <laughs> I'm a bit disappointed in it. But anyway, Sean, I really do hope that you do enjoy it when you do get the chance to go and watch. Now, Damien and Paul, it was the first time I got to meet you both in person. It was an absolute pleasure to share that uh, evening with you both. Likewise. So thank you very much. And I really am interested in both of your thoughts on the not just the content of the documentary but how they went about it what could be left out what could be put in there were lots of things in it such as unseen footage before i'd never seen the in the studio footage of michael jackson recording the girl is mine with paul mccartney with them standing opposite each other in fairly decent quality as well not amazing not 4k but pretty good quality there was an interview with Michael around that time, which I think was recorded at Havenhurst. He's just sitting there in his uh, you know, turquoise-colored jumper just talking about what he's doing. I found that very interesting. That's not footage I'd seen or heard before. And so there, were, there is enough, in my opinion, in the documentary to make it appealing to Michael Jackson fans, old and new. And there's also some higher-quality footage of the Victory Tour which is what we've been clamouring for for years on the MJ cast. And so hopefully there is something in the workings with that. Now, I'm going to throw it to you, Paul, in your capacity as a film editor. What were your thoughts on the documentary as a whole? And then we'll deep dive into little bits and bobs here and see what we could have improved.
0: Okay. Um, Overall, I thought they did a pretty pretty good job. I mean, most of us, our hopes really, all we really needed was to see as much unseen or high-quality remastered footage from that era as, as possible, and I think they did a pretty good job of including what they had, and it wasn't, you know, just all talking heads. So, it had a 95-minute runtime, which I thought was possibly a little bit short. The off-the-wall one was about the same length. The bad one was just over two hours, Um, I thought Thriller being, you know, the greatest album of all time, I was kind of looking forward to a bit of a deep dive into it and getting in the studio and seeing all that studio footage and seeing all of the performance footage and everything they had. Yeah, I feel like they could have done a lot better, but overall, I think they did a pretty decent job. It pretty much, for me, followed the same mold as the Spike Lee films. I feel like they just said, look, that's what's been done. That's what was probably going to be done if Spike Lee did it. Let's just follow the same mold, interview the same kinds of people, talk about things in the same kind of way, and try and add a bunch of, as they seem to want to do, things that would relate to a fresher audience, which I'm not as much into. I think it could have been great to just purely focus on taking you back to 1981, 82 and getting into the creation of that album and then maybe at the end showing the impact of it. But they seem to really want to dive into showing a lot of contemporary stuff with the interviews and the TikTok stuff and blah, 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 which I'm not as big a fan of. Um, But yes, they definitely did show a bunch of footage that was fantastic. I was intrigued by the fact they said it was a work in progress. It did feel to me, and I know my criticism is probably a little more uh, fine-tuned when it comes to technical stuff, to me it felt a little bit rough. For our screening, it felt like the sound for the entire film was slightly out of sync by a few frames but that could have been the projection or the sound system. But they'd also taken a lot of footage which they didn't want to use the real sound for, like the studio footage and various other clips where they dubbed in sound from either the album versions or whatever. And they did that was way out of sync quite a lot of the time. And the sound mix was a bit rough in general. In terms of quality, nearly all the archive footage was uh, shown in 4 by 3 sort of square, including all of the newly scanned Negatives of uh, stuff that's been up res to 4K, which is great. That studio footage you're talking about, I wasn't a big fan of the quality. It, it was actually had some interlacing issues which for technical people just means you know the amount of fields in each frame, there's horizontal lines, so it looks almost a little bit jagged at times. It just means they either haven't scanned it properly or haven't put it into the same format that they're working in, and there's a way to do that which avoids those lines. It looks like it came off an old Betacam tape or a one-inch reel, so it had tracking lines and a few little glitches in it. And then there was a mixed bag as far as archive footage. Some of it was um, fairly good quality stuff of Grammys and stuff of videotape uh, of that era, news archives. And then some of it was not that great quality. They zoomed in on it or it didn't quite hold up. But uh, for me, the best stuff was obviously all the, the high quality archive stuff all that extended making of Thriller stuff, which I believe the full extended making of Thriller has been uh, remastered and almost everything they used of the making of Thriller was stuff that's not in the original, including that stuff you're talking about, the interview where he's in the in the green sweater. We've heard the audio of that in the making of Thriller for years and years when he's talking about Fred Astaire calling him after Billy Jean, uh, Motown 25, all of that and talking about can you feel it. We've heard the audio of that. So now we're finally seeing the video that goes along with a lot of those interviews and sound bites, which is great. There was a few laughs
3: in there as well, wasn't there? There's was a few little lighter moments which were quite interesting. For example, you just mentioned Motown 25. There was Stephen Ivory talking about that, and the phrase that got the biggest laugh is "Michael knocked it the fuck out." <laughs>
0: And and also when Michael says, they obviously edited out for the G-rated thr- making of Thriller, he said Fred Astaire called him and they've edited out the part which is shown in this where he says that Fred Astaire said, you know, you, you, put, you really put the, the audience on their asses or whatever, which he didn't want yeah. to say and they obviously cut that out. So, it was kind of see a little more. A, a little more candid version of that interview was really good. He spelled see. it out. Yeah, yeah he called me. He told me, "You really put them on the ass." Yeah, yeah. So I think one of the and smacked his butt when he did it. Smacked his booty like so fun. I think one of the highlights definitely is the victory tour footage. Like we got sort of almost half songs here and there, and definitely lots of little highlight clips. And it did make me just feel like I wish I was sitting in the cinema watching the entire victory tour you know, from a 35-millimeter high-def scan in 4K or whatever, because they obviously have it. And that was one of the absolute highlights. I just thought this is amazing. They also had all these outtakes, which they did in BAD25, you may recall. We are just talking about remastering the videos. You might recall in BAD25, all of the newly scanned outtakes on the set of The Way You Make Me Feel or Bad were much superior quality to the actual video clips that they were showing highlights from and it's similar similar here particularly with some of the stuff they've got it all in in high definition outtakes from thriller outtakes from beat it obviously the thriller and beat it videos are included as well so yeah i just loved all of that high definition footage and i know i'm sort of going on a bit but to to me overall that was the glory and the highlights of this film was getting to see all that footage presented in amazing quality
3: I like the fact that they touched on how they went about making Thriller relevant. Some of that I hadn't heard before, like you know, using the fact that Paul McCartney is a very notable white musician who'd had great success with the Beatles and then as a solo artist, latching onto him to use him, if you like, to have Michael as a black artist cross over into the white community and to grow the album sales that way. I found that part of it really, really interesting. And that's what I wanted to also ask Sean about as well. And I'm aware, obviously, you haven't seen the documentary yet. When Thriller came out, was it notable, for example, that Michael was using prominent white figures to try and cross over? The other one they touched on was going to the White House and meeting Ronald Reagan.
2: You have to remember, uh, earlier in 82, 81 or 82, Paul McCartney had uh, the duet with Stevie Wonder, Ebony and Ivory. So it wasn't too far-fetched at the time. And so, to see Michael working with Paul wasn't a stretch in hindsight, it makes absolute sense because of the success of ebony and ivory and so that it it made a lot of sense for that pairing to happen. Obviously, the girl's mind didn't wasn't as successful as ebony and ivory, but again it it made sense, so it wasn't too far fetched
1: not
3: fair enough,
2: yeah. Can I just ask one question? How much did they really go into what led up to Thriller? They did. The -the off-the-wall stuff. Off the Wall, Triumph, the Triumph Tour, and then how much of that did they really delve into?
0: I clocked about 10 minutes before they got to the point where it was ready to make Thriller. Like It started out the usual way, a few highlights, and then at one point, about two or three minutes in, maybe five minutes in, it actually cut to the whole... Gary, Indiana, home of the Jackson 5, and I thought, oh, no, we're not going to spend half an hour reliving everything and missing out on deep dive thriller stuff but by the 10 minute mark they sort of covered all that fairly generically what led up to it the off the wall album a lot about what didn't happen at the grammys and the and the receiving of 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 uh the off the wall album and where he was fired up and wanted to really connect and break through so it wasn't a lot of time spent on that but they definitely covered the key points i think gotcha
1: uh, Damien? Yeah, for me in general about the documentary, looking at it through the lens of the fact which was touched on earlier that it's a work in progress, I thought all of the ingredients that they need to have to make this thing a 10 out of 10 are there. They clearly have access to all the footage that we want to see and they've exhibited that they have that. They have access to interviews with people who can tell this story and it's all there. And for me, I was I was quite blown away by how they're – the direction that they're going in. I thought it was really, really good. But that's through the lens of it being a work in progress. We haven't got a chance to review the actual documentary because the way it's presented to us is this is not the actual documentary. Mm. This is the work in progress. And I know myself personally having certain projects that have been at a work in progress stage before before you actually finish them. My Lord, if someone would have Heard them or seen them or read them before that I thought they were ready to be shared with people. They were a mess. So this is coming together pretty nicely, but it is still a bit scrappy. Um, the narrative doesn't make total sense. It doesn't. I don't think the documentary, the way we saw it in its work in progress stage, it doesn't know what it wants to be yet.
0: Can I just can, can I just jump in and say? as someone who works on these kinds of projects and other things, my honest professional opinion of where the, where it's at when they say this is a work in progress, I think to be completely honest that that's pretty much exactly what it's going to be. They're just going to polish the sound mix, maybe fix up some of the quality of the footage if they can get a better version of Billie Jean or whatever. I honestly don't think it's going to be that much different. Based on where it's at now and what they're presenting, I honestly think that's pretty much the film as it's going to go down unless there's sort of enough you know feedback and outcry and comments that they want to listen to it and say, okay, maybe we'll listen and take that on board. But to me, my professional opinion is that their idea of work in progress means it's just not 100% polished yet. But I think that's the film they're going to present.
1: Okay. Well, if, if that's the case, then my review of it will change just because- I don't think it's where it needs to be. I think it has all the ingredients are there to make the most delicious cake, but they're not mixed properly yet. They haven't got the right balance of flour and egg and water and sugar, and it's not where it needs to be. There are things that they need to remove. In my opinion, I would be removing probably at least 15 minutes of it because it's just there are too many tangents that don't stay on topic. And we'll get into what those individual things are probably as we discuss this but i'd be removing a significant amount of stuff that just is doesn't need to be there it's like it feels like maybe it's all been placeheld it's placeholder footage or it's placeholder ideas i know when i produce a, an episode of the podcast i'm working on right now the faking michael podcast it sometimes starts being you know a certain length and then you go through and you just take everything out that doesn't work you try all of your ideas but it's not all It's not all good. Some of some of the stuff needs to go and that's how I feel when I watch this and if it's truly a work in progress and, and a less work in progress than Paul is believing is going to be. I'm optimistic.
0: I would love if it's actually, no, they're going to do a lot more and maybe add a lot more. Yeah. But I would say prepare for the worst-case scenario that that's pretty much the film. And they're probably not going to change it. Yeah. Based on the level of where they're at, they've done a lot of split screen work, they've got different things going on, and it feels to me like it's at a level that's fairly polished. It's just a bit rough and not fully mastered yet. So I'd love it if they do more with it and make it better. But I've got a feeling that it's going to be pretty much that, unless there's something that everyone completely goes crazy and says you've got to take that out. And I know Damien will get to that, then maybe they'll listen to that. But yeah. I'm I'd love to be optimistic, but yeah. I feel feel like that's probably the film
1: i think also it's not it's not just taking things out it's also there's some things that need to be added in that aren't there Absolutely. and again like if it's a work in progress and it could even be and this is probably me wishful thinking or you know just being naive and i'm not naive but i'm being intentionally naive just to try and justify why this is the way it is but there are some songs that don't even get mentioned like i don't think they mention pyt or lady in my life at all in the whole mm-hmm. thing. And I think there was like 10 seconds of PYT playing in the background of like a news voiceover about the victory tour. And that was the only time I even heard that song mentioned. So, for me it's like is it missing? Have they forgotten to include it? Have they make it made a and a conscious choice to not include it? If that's true, then why did they bother to mention by name Baby Be Mine and talk about some of the sounds that are on the track like if it's if they're going to do track by track, then you kind of got to do all the tracks. And it starts out as kind of track by track or it feels like it's going that direction. Then it shifts into a analysis of the three short films and the Motown 25 performance. Then it shifts into like this chronological telling of the Grammys and the Pepsi Burn and the tour, but it's out of order. It's not in chronological order, so it doesn't make sense. I think
0: they've made a conscious decision not to do track by track like the Spike Lee ones did. And I think, but it starts out feeling like right, it's going to be. That's the The problem. reason why they don't mention, I think, the reason why they don't mention all those tracks is because they're only using the best of what people have said. And I'm guessing nobody talked about those tracks, or they have nothing much to say or use unless the director was specifically saying we've got to talk about every track and come up with stuff. I'm guessing they're just using the material they have and nobody really talked about anything on those tracks of interest. If that's the case, then that's
1: the director's fault because the director exactly. is the one that needs to come in with a mission and say these are the, these are the topics we need to discuss to, to complete this picture and we need to ask these questions which lead people to talk. We can't just rely on someone to start bringing
0: topics up
1: which um, is what Spike Lee did. Yeah. Spike
0: Lee specifically said, I want to do a track by track and and made sure he asked about all those tracks with the right people. So they may, either didn't do that here or maybe whatever people said, no one had anything as strong to say about those tracks. so They, they just did briefly
3: touch on Lady In My Life, uh, but I think it was in the context of, well, we the first single was The Girl Is Mine by Paul McCartney, which we used to cross over to white audiences. And then... They sort of, you go from that to The Lady in My Life, which is Michael on his own, and is a similar kind of song. That was the only time that they mentioned it. I don't recall. Yeah, it's so fleeting. I don't man. recall yeah. any sort of deep dive or mention of human nature, which I mentioned there's so many examples of Steve Picaro talking about how that song came to be, yeah. and how you know his daughter had had a bad day at school, and this boy had pushed her over, and mm. she came home asking yeah, why he's he's not even he's interviewed not mentioned on
0: there. they had matt forger they had matt forger as well but he didn't really dive into he has great stories about recording you know Eddie Van Halen's guitar solo and they didn't really dive into that in ways that I've heard done so much better in interviews he's done and yeah and steve picaro is not even in it
2: yeah, and how can you have not have anything good to say about "Lady in My Life"?
1: I, I, I just <laughs> that that's baffling to me. But there's some excellent footage of Quincy talking about it, yeah. about how the song evolved and how it's like we we were working on it and it was okay and we knew what direction we were taking it but Michael wasn't giving it and so it was the instructions to go back in and the bag he talks yeah. about like there's con- there's contemporaneous footage from the time where these people are actually talking about these songs and it's like some stuff is missing and that's what I was saying like this documentary doesn't know what it wants to be is it, does it talk about the whole album or just it? Well, it talks about at the
3: start and how, how we want to be starting something is such a great opener to the album. How It's Michael saying, hey, I want to start some shit here and tear yeah. it up. <laughs> and then they could have sort of – that was the exact wording they used. That's not just me being colourful with my language. But they, they could have mentioned the lady in my life by saying, okay, we've got to the end of this absolute juggernaut of energy. Let's bring it down and relax Okay, yeah. now you can go to bed having listened to a beautiful album.
1: That's what I'm saying comes into play is that they started out like it's a track by track, the opening track, and then, you know, the baby be, be mine. And then it's like it, it doesn't continue with that track by track type of thing. And then you don't get to the end of the actual album. You somehow get off track and go start <laughs> going down the chronology of music videos in Motown 25. Yeah. And then this big, this big thing about Don King and there's E.T. storybook in there. And it's like, hang on a second. Like we're spending time on Don King and ET Storybook, but we're not mentioning PYT. Like how does this make sense? And there's some incredible, they used really well stylistically where they didn't have great video footage of something, but they had audio for it. They used a really good technique of playing the audio of someone telling a story with other footage on screen. And they have some incredible audio Of, They have access to some incredible audio of James Ingram who wrote PYT talking about the recording session with Michael Jackson on that song. And for me, it's just remiss to not explore the songs on the album, especially the seven that were top 10 hits, to, to kind of not even mention them. And therefore, not even mention one of the writers on the album. Like it's this missing pieces of the puzzle, and then there, and then we have, of course, the pieces of the puzzle that aren't a part of the picture of Thriller at all. That are all just thrown in there, which are these random stuff that just are the things that we all probably agree need to be taken out.
0: It did feel like we were going to do the same mold as the as the Spike Lee ones at the beginning with the track by track, and then we we're getting into like. Taking you there into the studio for making Thriller the album. And then all of a sudden, they jump to the CEO of TikTok and go on this whole <laughs> random thing about how everyone's doing the TikTok thing, which felt so out of place. And if you were going to use it at all, I know most people want it deleted, but if it was going to be there at all, it's the sort of thing you might put at the end to say, and look what this amazing album has gone on to do and how it affects generations to come and all of that. But there is that the other issue is why it's not as balanced track by track kind of thing is there's obviously an issue with you know having interviews from people who are no longer with us with us like bruce deane Ferdinand. bruce is no longer with us um, quincy jones we haven't got interviews we're going to get of current ones of him, so they're they're sort of half using archive stuff, but they're probably a bit reluctant to do so. So, it, and there's a lot important of important ones, <laughs> yeah. And 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 you know, Rod Temperton is no longer with us, so we have all that audio from the 2001 special edition that they could obviously incorporate, but there just seems to be a bit of an imbalance as far as it. Okay, I put it this way: it feels to me like the focus of this documentary is not let's do a deep dive track by track explore the art, the creation of the album. It's more about, let's just talk about how amazing, iconic this thriller album was and how it's the best thing that Michael ever did for the world and how it's reaching generations of people now and it's still iconic. They're more focusing on that broader audience kind of thing for the documentary rather than just making it purely about the art and the creation of the album and every single song. And they're just using the pieces that they have, the interviews that they have, some weird choices for interview subjects and people who are you know, having their opinions. They interview a lot of people who have just heard the Thriller album, which is nice, but not as much people who are actually part of it or have something to say about the actual artistic creation of it so it's a it's very imbalanced overall and like damien said you'd hope that this work in progress banner that it's under means maybe they'll refine that a little better it's a little all over the place but again the amount of great stuff in there like you said all the ingredients is sort of enough to appreciate as a fan but it would be a little better if they kind of tightened it up and structured but it a just little to better.
1: talk talk more on the point of like the creation of the album, of course, we, we, we kind of want to know the origins of the songs and how they evolved. Like they did touch on some stuff, like they touched on the Mama Mamasama Makusa, but they They're didn't say enough. where it comes from. <laughs> exactly. Like, like the, Michael and Quincy had a conversation about Quincy saying, well, you know that comes from Manu Dubango's Soul Makosa. And Michael's like, of course I know where it comes from. That's why it's there and I have to have it. And yeah. he's saying, well, okay, as long as you know where it comes from. He's like, yes, of course. Well, we have to go with it. And like that's not touched on at all. It's just some – the session singers going, what does it mean? And Michael's saying, well, I don't – it doesn't mean anything. Just sing it. Like there's so much more to explore, like to show that Michael knew where – Michael knew the origins of his art. He studied art. He, he was a student of everything that had come before him and he wanted to pioneer a new path that was going to be ahead of him. And he knew exactly how to take those – he was sampling before – sampling it, this is before the major hip-hop mm. uh, revolution and he's he's sampling through his own mouth things from a decade earlier that come from Africa and that come from all different places and bringing them to the mainstream and I don't think that was appreciated as much as it could have been um but to the point of the creative process of the album which is it, it's they haven't talked about all the songs that's we, we know that but we we have this scene where Carousel is in there and it's on-screen text with like, this is an outtake, blah, 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 blah. But it's like, how are you, how are you discussing outtakes of songs that came into the- al- that, that, that were taken off the original version of this album? But you're not talking about songs that were actually on the freaking album. Yeah. You've got a scene with Carousel, but not a scene with PYT. And then also a scene about Starlight, which
0: doesn't actually go into Starlight. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. One of the big issues that oh, I had that was, crazy. was, was that crazy. I think from an, a general audience who doesn't know all of the stuff to do with Thriller and the backstory, I think one of the most interesting things for an audience would have been the idea that this Starlight demo, which they start to talk about how it was constructed and playing the drums and the bass and this, and I think, oh, this is going to be really good. People will respond really well to this because when they played the Billy Jean demo, the audience in the cinema we're in really reacted to how, wow, look, he didn't quite know how the song was going to go yet. They were really fascinated. You could feel the vibe of hearing that demo for Billy Jean. So when they did Starlight, I'm going, this is going to be great. They're going to sort of show the, how the songs and people are going to go, oh, I recognize this is Thriller. And then there's going to be these different lyrics and this Starlight chorus. And I'm thinking, wow, that's going to be a really important part to show the evolution of this song, which I think will really connect with a general audience. But they alluded to it and then they just never sort of showed Starlight. They just showed Thriller. And I think that was a huge mess that I would say is one of my big notes that, that you've got to have a little bit of that in there. It's such a great story.
2: So, you're saying that it, this, this pales in comparison to the off-the-wall and bad documentaries?
0: I think it has a way to go to get to that. It looks like they're in the same mold and they're doing it. You could, you could almost believe that it's the same director almost. You'd sort of go, oh, it looks like it's the same kind of thing, but it. I don't think it quite gets there in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I think the ingredients to make that type of thing are there, but they're, they're not mixed properly like I said. And I don't necessarily think that the bad and off-the-wall documentaries hit the nail on the head either in many ways, but I think this, this one has the potential to to be better than them but at this mm. exact moment in time with the version be. that we saw it's
0: not better and it should be yeah it's the best subject matter it's the biggest era yeah. the one the one other little quick thing i just want to throw in that 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 bothered me a bit they did a bit on motown 25 and i'm thinking i love the jackson section of motown 25 and i obviously love billy jean but they didn't use any of the Jacksons. They just sort of said he, he appeared with his brothers. And then there was like three seconds of him finishing, I'll be there. And that was it. And I thought they really should have shown at least a tiny bit of him performing with his brothers that led to Billie Jean to set the scene. And I guess as much as I'm really happy, there's a, a lot of amazing high definition, rescan negative archival footage. The one sort of glaring absence to me was the rehearsal of Billie Jean from Motown 25, which they said they were saving and they didn't allow them to include it on on the Motown 25 deluxe multiple disc sets. That's the only footage is Michael's rehearsal that wasn't allowed to be used. And I heard that they were saving it for something that they wanted to do with it. And I thought this would be the perfect time to showcase that footage, which we know they have. And it wasn't there. So, I was a bit disappointed that we didn't see that. That was the one archival footage I was sort of hoping for. And you
1: know what else wasn't there? Michael's brothers. Yeah. Who, by the way, were often at Havenhurst working on demos for this stuff with him. Like, you talk about creative process and origins and genesis of, of songs. Well, what about the the people that were there in the studio as these things came yeah. to life? Like, not not the people who, you know- like you said, receive the album on a a vinyl and are talking about how they feel about it. What about the people who were there in the room as these things were born?
3: That is such a good point because just recently I was listening again to the Christmas episode last year and Taj Jackson said something really caught my attention, which was that everyone seems to focus on Michael as the solo artist, but they need to remember that there was a journey involved. He didn't just one day appear as Michael Jackson. He was with his brothers before. So the fact that- the brothers weren't included in this documentary is a really good point to make.
2: And I want to get to one point in there about that. I believe Randy is credited on the album and definitely Janet is credited on PYT. So yeah. that's a great, that's a great point. Uh, Michael and Randy, especially were collaborating quite a bit more so probably on off the wall, but I, I, I agree with that point there. There needs to be more. And I'm, I'm a huge fan of all of the brothers. And so, I, you know, it's, it's a shame that they're not included and given the credit that they deserve.
0: It's also worth pointing out that there is some great Victory Tour footage that does showcase all the brothers. However, as most people know, Jackie was not there for most of the Victory Tour because he was injured until the final shows. He kind of appeared during the last few songs, but most of the footage of the versions they actually shot on film, Unfortunately, Jackie's not in it. So you get five of the brothers, but not all six. So the Jacksons are definitely represented, but unfortunately that's always going to be the issue with the victory tour of which version they release and how it represents all the family and the brothers uh, is obviously the absence of Jackie, which would be great if he was included in it because he was such a huge part of that whole era as well. That's great points. Now, before
3: we completely wrap this up, uh, and I want to say thank you to all three of you for your thoughts on this. This has been monumental. So happy to have had this discussion with all of you. I want to ask one final question about the documentary to Sean. Now, I understand that you haven't seen it, but that's why I want to ask you this. Given what you've heard today and given what you know about the era, what are your expectations of what you're going to see and what would you like to see in the Thriller 40 documentary when you finally get to see it?
2: Uh, just from listening to you guys, it's, it's you know, it's it's obviously it sounds like it's kind of hodgepodge, a little bit all over the place, um, as you guys have mentioned. I, I guess for me, what I want to see is I want to see the buildup to Thriller. So I think that time between '80 80 and '82, when he when he finally released it, I think we could kind of see we knew that Michael was getting ready to break out. And so just to kind of see that build up and then the track by track, Um, you know, that's kind of what as a longtime fan, you know, I want to hear the stories, Um, you know, even though some of them I've heard, you know, uh, the Mama Say, Mama Say, Mama Kusa. I I know the story behind it, but I still want to hear it in the documentary. You know, I want to hear about, you know, Eddie Van Halen, you know, uh, guitar solo. I want to hear, you know, Lady in My Life. I want to hear that track by track, what went into it. And then the Michael mania after the one thing about the Michael mania people need to understand about that time is that the brothers were still, you know, very popular. And so, you know, we weren't too far removed from destiny triumph. Um, And so the brothers were still very popular. And so it made a lot of sense for the victory tour to happen with them. And so just to see that. Michael mania and how it, you know, again, with the Motown 25, with the Pepsi commercial. But I also, and I'm going to dig it back up. There's a video that was floating around in about 1984 in Detroit on Belle Isle. It's a little island in Detroit. And, And it was just, they were capturing a summer, a summer event. I can't quite remember what it was in 1984. And you could see the influence. Um, they even did a Michael Jackson contest and they, they, they brought up the brothers too, you know? And so it's just to see that moment when I actually, when someone posted it, I saw it, it just took me right back to how, just how popular, just how massive thriller was. And so just to be able to kind of see that and capture that in documentary form, you almost, almost feel like you have to do two parts just the track by track stuff and then the Michael mania stuff after for part two. Uh, so that's kind of what if you, if, if they called me and said, Hey, we want you to script this for us. That's how I would script it. Excellent.
3: Alrighty. Now we've already done our analysis of the documentary. So for Paul and Damien, just very quickly marks out of 10 Damien.
1: Through the lens of, of it being a work in progress and what I am hoping the work in progress means I'm giving it nine because I think that that there's a lot of the stuff that needs to be there is there. If this is an indication of the final product and there won't be any significant changes, then I'm bringing it down to a a seven and it goes below the Spike Lee documentaries. Um, It's probably sitting around the Spike Lee documentaries for me at the moment. But given some significant changes, I think it can be a 10. Wishful thinking, maybe, who knows. But right now is a work in progress. Nine, I'm being optimistic. If it doesn't change at all, it's a seven. Fair enough.
0: Paul? Yeah, I'd probably say it's going to be about a seven. I'd love it to be higher, but I'm I'm going to go with a seven. I, I think the, the bad 25, because I love that album, was, was sort of like an eight or a nine for me. But this one has potential, but based on what we're seeing so far, if that's pretty much it, I'd say it's probably going to be about a seven, mostly to do with from a filmmaker's perspective of the structure and how they tell the story and how it all goes together. I think it could be a lot better in that regard.
3: Excellent. Sean, I'd be interested to get your thoughts when you've actually seen the documentary. So please make sure that you tweet about it or or do something like that. For me, I'm giving it a nine out of 10 and I'm keeping it there, hoping that it gets better. I've Still think there's a lot of potential where it could get to a 10, as Damien said, but for just separating what it was and looking at it as its own piece of work and forgetting all of the outside stuff, I give it a nine. Alrighty, so we're coming on to the final part of this episode now. We're going to wrap this up. What I asked you gents to do and not share with me before we started recording this episode was to think about how you would have handled the release of Thriller 40, what you would have included, what you would have left out. So if you were in charge of the Michael Jackson Estate and running the Thriller 40 project, what would you have done? How would you have handled this? What would have been your dream? Let's start with you, Damien.
1: Okay. I've thought about this a lot in just in conversations with friends and different things. So for me, the the guiding, the mandate of the project would be make it make sense. <laughs> make it make sense and put thought into What do we have to do to make this project make sense for what it is? So, we're celebrating the 40th anniversary of what? Thriller. Nine tracks, the biggest selling album of all time. That's where we're starting and that's got to be the focus. We have to celebrate that, okay? And we can expand on the original album with a second disc, which is great, which they have done. But what goes on that second disc, I think there's a whole different train of thought that that I would be on than what they were on. And so for me, in, in the context of Make It Make Sense, I'd be saying let's talk about how Thriller got to be Thriller and let's look at the bonus tracks through that lens and what I would have done with that is first of all, I would, have, I would have gone back and spoken to the original collaborators of the album and, and really figured out which were the original nine. So what were the, the four that were removed and then replaced with, because we know the mythical story of we had nine tracks down, we sat back and looked at what, where we were, we took a, an honest assessment of the material, and then we identified four songs that weren't quite up to par with the other five. Then we removed them and then we went on another quest to replace those songs with new songs. And so which were those four songs? I'd like to see some notes or a track listing of of, of exactly where the album was really at before they had that assessment. And I would include those four songs as the four bonus tracks. And if it is really Nightline, um, Hot Street, Trouble and Carousel, then those are my four key bonus tracks Obviously, they were replaced by Lady in My Life, Beat It, Human Nature, and PYT. Then I would be also including Behind the Mask because Behind the Mask doesn't fit into the category of the four tracks that were removed because they didn't match the quality of where the album was going. Behind the Mask was not included because there was a royalties dispute with Yellow Magic Orchestra's management and they couldn't figure out the, you know, the fine details of the contract stuff. And that is the reason that that song didn't get included. So that's not an outtake on quality. That's an outtake on circumstance. So that would be the fifth bonus track for me. So I'd have the four that got replaced plus Behind the Mask. We've got five. And then in the context of celebrating Thriller and how Thriller became Thriller, I would have the demos of each of the nine tracks. So I'd have, it would be, what's that, five plus the demos so 14 bonus tracks we've had some of them before we've not had some of them before and that would complete the bonus track disc for me because it makes sense then the thriller 40 documentary in the same thing of make it make sense i would tell the story of the making of the album and then once the album is done because remember none of the pandemonium and none of the the, the stuff that happened afterwards, the awards, the accolades, all of that stuff, the MTV stuff, none of that happened until the album was actually on the market. So I think it's two separate conversations, the making of the album and then the impact and success of the album. It, they're two separate conversations. Um, maybe like Sean said, maybe it's a part one and part two or maybe it's just an, an, a cleverly written narrative that can be followed. And follow the documentary through the making of the album, removing those songs, going on a quest, put them all in context, the playback, Michael's not happy. Get it to where he wants it to be so that when they shoot that thing out to stores, what happens after happens. And it's clearly by Michael's quest for perfection and his unrelenting pursuit of of artistic brilliance that we get. It's not an accident. The biggest selling album of all time is not a fucking accident. Why don't we really celebrate the journey that it went on to become what it became? And for me, the documentary we got feels like, Sean said it, perfectly a hodgepodge. It's a massive hodgepodge of amazing content. Like the interviews with Michael at Havenhurst in the blue shirt, when fans see and hear that, they're going to flip. That's amazing. The victory tour footage, amazing. But in the context of the biggest album ever and creating a product that is timeless that can go out to the public and be picked up in 10 years and still be as relevant in 10 years as it is today when it's being released, we don't talk about TikTok. Times are going to change. That's going to become irrelevant so quickly, and the statistics that they put up on the screen are going to become outdated and irrelevant so quickly. They shouldn't put it in there because it appeals today because it won't appeal tomorrow. The comparisons with artists, like we talked about not having PYT in the, in the, in the documentary that we got. We have Dynamite by BTS. How do we get a BTS song in a thriller documentary celebrating the 40th anniversary of the biggest album ever but not one of the songs from the fucking album? So, just make it make sense. Make everything make sense. Only talk about what Michael did and also, P.S., the the album, the deluxe album, it needed a book. That would have made me buy it. If there was a 50-page book then I would have bought the album. The album didn't have anything that gave me any value that I couldn't get on streaming, so I didn't buy it. So that's it.
3: All righty. I think that my dreams for Thriller would be to not, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, okay? We have to have some tracks that were not included on the album. That's a necessity to try and give a, even more of a picture of what was going on at the time. I certainly like the idea of a two-part documentary, part one, the making of Thriller. The music, because there's already a making of thriller music video or short film, um, but I think a making of the album. There's clearly some in studio footage, if uh, with Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson. I wonder if there is also for Billy Jean, Beat it. You know, some of these maybe the Eddie Van Halen sessions as well. Who knows? Hopefully, they do have something like that in the vault. I'd have put something like that out as a part one, and then, like you say the cause and effect, the cultural significance, the awards in its own documentary as part two. I would have also, you know how Charlie Thompson feels about all the history tour footage and how he wants to encase, you know, burn it, put the ashes, encase them in concrete, stick them in the bottom of the ocean. I feel like that about the Kanye West version of Billie Jean and the Fergie version of Beat It. Those two, a lot of those 2008 remixes, you know what, don't even send them to the bottom of the sea because deep sea submarines are a thing now. Launch them into space, point them at the sun, and <laughs> let the sun do the rest. That's how I feel about it. To me, Thriller is the greatest album of all time. Focus on that. I think I would like to
2: throw to Sean next. So I'm going to give credit to my buddy. Um, he's on Instagram, record underscore playa, P-L-A-Y-A. His name is Jason. And so he and I had a, we, we we talk all the time. And we talked last night. He posted something about what his dream thriller set would be. So I told him I would steal some of this. So I'm giving him credit. Again, we talked a little early about, you know, people of a certain generation, we want to have something physical. We want something tangible in our hands. So I think, Damien, you were talking about a, a book. So I like the whole the idea of having a book that goes uh, goes along with it. A two LP box set. Uh, So give us a repress of the original LP. Give us some of the epic promotional uh, material as well. The whole idea of the documentary being part one, part two. And really, we need to take it away from the 40th anniversary, the 45th anniversary. Let's get to the deluxe edition. Give us different elements of the album. So the Victory Tour. Give us a high quality DVD of the Victory Tour or a feature film on the Victory Tour. I think they are doing, wasn't CNN producing a documentary on the Victory Tour?
0: That's what we heard.
2: Yes. So, you know, something along those lines. Give us a restored version of the making of Thriller. You guys talked earlier about the making of Motown, the Motown 25 rehearsals. Give us that. Um, So, make it a true deluxe version, but give it to us in sections, give it to us in pieces. Um, so that way um, we're not overwhelmed, and that way you can do like the Prince estate or other decent estates where they you know they truly honor and they give you quality material uh, when they release albums. Great thoughts, Sean, Thank you
3: very much. Now, the final word, Paul black
0: <laughs> righty, um I would say that for me, loving the physical product, I would follow in the path of the prince estate. I would have loved. If there was an elaborate box set package, probably vinyl size with a big photo booklet or something in there, and then everything that is out there or available in the vaults include everything. So what I would ultimately love if it was a perfect world, I would love it if the rights to all of this stuff was sort of reclaimed by, say, the Jackson family, and they were able to actually release their version to celebrate this album, which obviously the Jacksons were a huge part of in that era and the Victory Tour, so maybe it would be okay to include a lot of that sort of stuff if it was more of a family release, if they were the estate, so to speak. So I would love an elaborate box set package but I would also make individual elements for sale. So there's a number of things that could easily go on a Blu-ray the same way they do with the Prince releases and various different CDs and whatnot you can include in this package. And people who can afford that deluxe box set It'd be great if that existed. And then anyone who just wants to say, oh, I'll just purchase the Victory Tour stuff or the making of Thriller Blu-ray part of it or just the, the bonus disc, the version that has that. So for me, it'd be an all-encompassing thing. And I would love it if it include, as Damien said, all the full-length demos from Thriller because you may or not be aware that when they've tacked on the Billy Jean demo in this release, it's still half of the demo. It's not the full-length sort of version. Uh, The PYT demo is the alternate version of the song, it's not the album version, so we don't have the demo of that. And obviously, I think Human Nature, Baby Be Mine, Girl Is Mine demos could be on there as well. Lady In My Life, Fuller Extended demo. I would love all the demos, I would love instrumental versions of the songs, I would love acapellas of the songs. Interestingly, talking about demos, people talked about the famous thing where they weren't happy with the album and they said, this does not sound right. We really need to fix this and take more time. I wouldn't suggest they maybe release that version of it, but it might be interesting if they edited a few snippets together to say, here's a little example of how different it was going to be before it became the biggest selling album of all time, similar to the way he had demos. It would be interesting to see, well, what was it? Was it the mix? Was it certain things? You know, Damien mentioned the track listing, things like that. And I just would love to have you know, more than one disc with 10 tracks on it, it'd be great to have all of the different outtakes that we know exist for that album that are of that era and if you wanted to extend it further as the victory tour is part of the whole thing and that's 84 there's a lot of tracks he recorded around that era a lot of duets that probably have different record companies and issues but you know you got say 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 and the man with paul mccartney um you've got stuff with like rockwell somebody's watching me tell me i'm not dreaming with jermaine don't stand another chance with janet centipede with rebe things like that they're getting a little off track but it might might be like, this is what th- became of Michael when he was in his highest selling, sort of you know, massive global status. Um, hmm. As far as remixes go, some people say it's a little controversial. I would have loved to have opened it up to the fan community and anybody in the world like your single white glove or remix by Nick and say, let's have submissions of remixes and maybe we'll choose. The best sort of 10 remixes based on people who are doing the best job they can. And maybe there's some great remixes out there based on multi-tracks. I would love to have that. I don't see why they wouldn't include the 2001 Special Edition interviews that they've already got in the the vault and the Vincent Price voiceover session. I would love to have the E.T. storybook in there. Why not? If that's of the same era. And then as far as Blu-ray discs, I would love to have Motown 25 on Blu-ray with the rehearsals. Victory Tour, obviously, all the short films, the Pepsi commercials, if possible. I'd love to have the full-length version on audio of the Pepsi version of Billy Jean. I'd love to have the making of Thriller extended, remastered, and possibly in 3D with some 3D glasses that you can use on a regular TV if you don't have a 3D TV. So, yeah, I'm casting the net very wide here and saying there's so much that they could put on. And I would love to do an all-encompassing box set that has everything and then make all of those elements possibly available individually for people who just want to buy what they're interested or what they can afford. But yes, I'm going to shoot for the stars and say, would it be amazing if you got absolutely everything and it was available to us in high quality And and, and it's all there. So, I would love that if I was in charge of the world. I would love an ultimate deluxe package of Thriller that would never have to be revisited or redone on any anniversaries. It's done properly. There it is. Great thoughts. That's,
2: and, Paul, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say, one, you put that out there. You never have to come back to it. It's done. We're good. Yep.
3: Excellent thoughts. Thank you all very much. Just a, you guys have given me some ideas. I, I would also add that absolutely I'd make a feature of Hot Street if I was releasing it. And there's a thought, a 4K version of Motown 25. Alrighty, that concludes our chat about Thriller 40 and the release. Thank you all very much for joining me. Before we go anywhere, I'd like to just go around the table one more time. If you could give us your social medias, let out to where people can contact you. Let's start over there in the United States, Sean Shackelford. How can people contact you?
2: Yes. Okay. Sean Shackelford. I am on Facebook. Um, You'll see a picture of me with my family in the uh, cover page, uh, cover photo, I should say. And I'm on Twitter. And my handle is S-A-S-H-A-C-K-E-L-F-O-R-D. And I'm also on Instagram. Same username. Excellent. Let me also add, I'm sorry, I'm an administrator on Facebook for, uh, thank God for the Jacksons and the Jacksons Music Club.
3: Excellent. I'll uh, have to go over and flick you a like there. I haven't done that yet and I feel very embarrassed to admit that.
0: Paul Black. Uh, Yeah, I'm off the grid so you can't really contact me but if you really (laughs) want to, you can contact the MJ cast and they'll be able to find me.
3: (laughs) No problem. And the man behind the genesis of Thriller, the man with perhaps the most knowledge around this iconic album, Damien Shields, where can people contact you?
1: Um, at Damien Shields on Twitter, um, at Damien Shields on Instagram and DamienShields.com is my website, pretty simple. Excellent. Mostly on Twitter, mostly on Twitter. Like I don't really use the other stuff too much. So just just come, come to the Twitter. If you want to abuse me, come to the Twitter. <laughs>
3: Uh, my name is Charlie Carter. You can find me on Twitter at charlie w. Carter. The same on Instagram. If you'd like to look at my photography, it's at Alpha Charlie Photos on Instagram as well. Thank you once again, gentlemen. This I, I cannot overstate how happy I am to have been able to host this program. MJ Cast's record of the greatest album of all time—not just the greatest selling, the greatest album of all time. You can contact the MJ Cast on Twitter at the MJCast. We are on Instagram at The MJ Cast. We're on Facebook as The MJ Cast, a Michael Jackson podcast. We are at the MJcast.com and you can send us an email if you'd like to get in contact with us, themjcast at icloud.com. Thank you once again, gentlemen. Hope you'll join us again in future and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The MJ Cast. Thank you.